0: night movies with Robin zach this is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre abnormal or off-kilter for contemporary audiences occasionally these projects gel most times they crash hard into the realm of obscurity join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp
1: i'm zach and i beeped i beeped take me away take me back to russia the mad beeper is on the loose this week on Cinemodities, we are continuing on with the series we are calling High Impact Joke Density, where we are talking about spoof and parody movies, and this week, it's not Zach. It's someone that you are familiar with from, I believe, two days ago, if you listen to our bonus episodes when they release. It is none other than Ben Affleck. when we discussed Chasing Amy. Thank you for being here again, Ben, not Affleck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for having me Rob
0: I'm, I'm glad I could be here to discuss anxiety with you <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yes, this is going to be a PSA about anxiety So before we jump into all of this anxiety uh, We have to earn some ad revenue I don't, I don't think we've earned ad revenue while well, you've been on before Ben But this is exciting Ben. I'm looking at Ben's face, he's thrilled about advertisements uh, But this week we are sponsored by an advertising The new immortal lansbury's album and so there is a new album from the immortal lansbury's out last month Uh, we've been pitching it all this whole month on cinemodities it is called lit l-i-t because it's lit son and you should check it out if you haven't already once again the link will be in the show notes and uh, ben any comments on the immortal lansbury's i i'm pretty sure you hate one of the people in the band is that right
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think I actually hate both of them.
1: Oh, okay, perfect. So the other thing we have to discuss after our ad revenue from the Immortal Lansbury's is, where is Zach? And, of course, he's working at the restaurant. Well, technically not at the restaurant this week. He is working for the restaurant. And so it's been a while, but every so often, uh, Zach infects himself with cooties— and he does this so we can harvest his cootie sores and sell them in the restaurant as something known as cheoties. So, you know, everybody's familiar with cooties. Like when you get cooties, you break out in these sores, you can kinda of peel them off, they look like little bagel bites, and you eat them and you call call them cheoties. I think right now he's in the portion where he's on a diet of strictly ranch medicine so that we get our ranch flavored chuties. Have you ever had chewties before, Ben? <laughs> Take that as a as a yes <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: yeah, I've had chuties
1: i uh I went to a doctor for him oh okay, okay, so that's where Zach is. He can't podcast this week because he's uh sitting in bed with cooties, and uh, I have to go over after this to peel off some sores and deliver them restaurant as chuties, but okay, with those things out of the way, this week uh we are talking about or I should say finally getting to on this series of parody and spoof movies. The great Mel Brooks. So just for some some context to remind our audience, and also for you, Ben, two weeks ago we did Airplane. Last week we did Johnny Dangerously, so spoofs of the disaster film genre and the gangster film genre, respectively. And now we are getting to a spoof of, I think technically, overall, it's the spoof of the suspense film genre, but very pointedly, Alfred Hitchcock. So before we, we jump into this completely... Uh, I do want to say on the topic of Mel Brooks, when you think of spoof and parody movies, Mel Brooks always comes to mind. Mel Brooks, of course, also did the Star Wars parody Spaceballs. We're not going to be talking about that on Cinemodities, but I believe, fingers crossed that nobody cancels on me, this upcoming Thursday, I will be on the Star Wars podcast, Knights of Vader, where I'll be discussing Spaceballs with them. So we're going to do a little Cinemodities-Knights of Vader crossover. So if you're looking for Spaceballs, check it out on Knights of Vader. So I, I wanted to set this up, uh, high anxiety up a little bit, but I felt before we could get to that, there was something that's been coming up on this series of, of high-impact joke density that I wanted to pick your brain about. In the first episode of the series, when we talked about airplane, Lashawn and I ended up talking a lot about memes and what they've done to comedy in our culture. Because we're doing we're doing a lot of you know late or early comedy movies. So you know, 1980. This one's 1977. Uh, Johnny Dangerously was '84. So definitely, you know, before the internet, before the memes became what they were today. So I I think Ben knows this, and our audience knows this now from. Not just this series, but a lot of cinematities. I think memes are cancer, basically. I don't understand them. I kind of hate them. And I definitely think they've done some negative things for... Maybe not comedy in general, but what people expect or want from comedy. Uh, I think it comes down to... My thoughts come down to a lot of the instant gratification. Like, people don't want to sit through something to laugh. They just want to be able to rapid-fire hit next on their phone or their keyboard... And then maybe blow air through their nose once in a while. Because the people that love memes, it seems they never laugh at them. They just kind of chuckle in the to response of being like, oh, I've been in that situation. But I wanted to pick your brain on memes, Ben. And I guess we want to start with, are you a memer? Do you like memes? Do you just sit there and look at memes for eight hours a day and then, you know, think you've done something? I have meme cancer.
0: No, I uh, I actually have not. <clears throat> I'm not I'm not what you would call a memer. I don't I don't go out of my way to find memes. I, I but occasionally I, I will come across a meme that I think is funny.
1: Okay, okay. I I, I think I'm the same way. Is that you know, um, memes that I see I usually just disregard. But I've seen some that I you know I'll chuckle at or that kind of thing. Um, I, I, I guess you know I have to ask you Ben, or at least uh, I want to just make sure things are still up to date. Uh, I do you still do the uh the the pictures of animals? Those are considered memes today, I think. Like some random motherfucker you've never met has a dog that you're never going to interact with and they took a picture of it and it's like 40% out of focus, but it gets a 10 billion upvotes on Reddit or something like that. Do you still look at those pictures, Ben? Those useless waste of time <coughs> pictures. <laughs>
0: Are you talking about the, the Awe awesome subreddit, A-W-W? Uh, that, pictures there?
1: Probably. That sounds like it's the worst part of the internet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, all of Reddit is the worst part of the internet now. Fair. <laughs> uh,
0: t- times have changed, Rob. Reddit has become accessible. cesspool. Uh, that's right. I'm talking, Audience, if you are on Reddit, you're part of the problem. Um, <laughs> that includes myself.
1: No, I, I don't spend any time on Reddit anymore. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so, so what do you think then about about memes and and comedy? I, I guess another uh, another way to frame this is: Do you think memes are a form of comedy or a respectful form of comedy? This is definitely subjective. I'm not looking for you know breaking the bank or anything, but how do you feel with memes in in comedy culture?
0: I think my answer is going to be pretty unsatisfying. Memes can be funny, sure. Most of the time, they're not. Yes. Um, <laughs> that's because any any jack off can write a meme and uh and they can get a lot of attention because i i guess because people are dumb i'm i really so i'm not quite sure um i know that as far as what belongs in certain subreddits for instance i have kind of a a rigid look on that Mm -hmm. so i'll see something in in uh no 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 The no. yes is the subreddit where you think it's going to go bad and then it goes good okay and like afterward i'm just like at no point was was there any amount of suspense that i was experiencing to believe that that was going to go bad sure so this does not belong here um and i think reddit has, reddit used to be like that like big time people would like shit all over you if you were posting on the wrong subreddit mm-hmm. but that is not really the case anymore now they're just like self-congratulating all the time uh, because they hate Trump or something, and so I, I think that it's it's created. What I'm getting at is is that memes, at one point in time, were like niche and funny, yes. and only the good ones made it to the top. And now it's just we're, it's just oversaturated.
1: Oh yeah, that's a good that's a good word to use. Oversaturated, especially um, because I, I know Lashawn and I got it a little bit. The, the oversaturation of animal pictures I could talk about for years and how stupid that is because just... I've, I've Like I said, if I've seen one dog, I've seen every dog. I don't care, okay? Like, I don't need to see a picture of a fucking dog at all. It, it does nothing to my life. But people just need to show me pictures of dogs for some reason. But I, I definitely like oversaturation because memes these days, it seems like there's a huge subset of them that are just like... They will take like a, a tweet or or like a post from somewhere and then they will just reuse the same reaction image and that makes it a meme like like i i can't think like a spongebob is a huge meme like spongebob reaction pictures like that one that came around i think sometime last year or maybe earlier 2020 where it was spongebob doing the doofy face and they would just switch the capitalization of every other letter and yeah. it would be like the sarcasm meme and i'm like do we need this like, do people need this at all? <laughs>
0: that is uh, – what you're asking, do we need this at all, is a good question. I think that particular meme, while I while I do enjoy it, the entire purpose of that meme is, is to, to basically be like, you're a fucking idiot. Yes. To the person you're talking to. Uh, it's incredibly disrespectful. It's definitely bad for conversation. Uh, I've seen people, like, do this, of course, without the picture where they just, like – Modify the capitalization and like during a, yeah. an argument or a discussion, and I'm just like, well, I mean, if that's how
1: little respect you have for each other, why are you even talking? <laughs> <laughs> I like, I like that. I like that. You bring up an interesting point there with seeing that you know you don't see the picture, but you see that that alternating capitalization, and then if you're familiar with the meme or I, I guess the meme, there's no other way to call it, the reaction image, something like that, then you know what you're getting at. So. So that makes me think: Is meme comedy just bogged down and deep, oversaturated self-referential humor?
0: Um, I don't know that. I mean, it's not all self-referential in the sense that most of it starts with some kind of initial reference. So, like, sure. you get in
1: there, you get in there by being a reference to something external. But then, then it, it just kind of snowballs in the meme community into something that everybody's familiar with, and that.
0: that's exactly what the idea of a meme is, is just like a a snippet or a chunk of information that becomes like widely acceptable as having some kind of meaning.
1: Yes. Um,
0: And I'm sure that there's a better definition and that's not exactly perfect, but that's roughly what the the idea is. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, yeah, in some sense, like I I wouldn't call it self-referencing. I think that that, that instance of, of the capitalization outside with it, you know, without the image that is self-referential, mm-hmm. but I can't I can't think off the top of my head of too many other memes that just with, like without knowledge of the existence of memes you couldn't understand them.
1: Okay, okay, yeah, I guess I'm not well versed enough in this stuff to to think of an example either. But you know, maybe in the in comparison to that, the reaction image is um, I know that meme. I think it's still around. It's uh, the the fat Bugs Bunny, Big Chungus. Like that, that seems to not have any purpose. Just somebody dug up an old like Looney Tunes from the 50s or 60s where Bugs Bunny like makes himself fat to imitate Elmer Fudd and. I don't know where Big Chungus came from, but it's just a title on that picture, as far as I know. And that has no—there's, like, no language from that, I think. <laughs> I've never even seen it. That,
2: that's, that oh. sounds ridiculous. <laughs> okay,
1: yes. I think it, these days, if you just, like, Google Big Chungus, that's what's going to come up on the images, for sure. <laughs> so I like—I
0: do I do like some of the reaction image memes, but but it's always—like, anytime I I find myself enjoying something like that, it's it's really— I don't know exactly how to say this. I don't want to say it at somebody else's expense because there's really nothing wrong with that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, it, but there's something wrong with what I'm trying to describe. It, it's a way of being a self-congratulatory piece of shit, I think is, <laughs> is the way that I want to describe it. Okay. Okay. Uh, like, like one of the ones, um, just every time I see it, it's, it's like a lot of times it's about politics and they're like, I think this and anybody who thinks something else is, is whatever. And it's mm. like, you know, it's like they don't use those words, but that's what they're getting at with like the the capitalization one or, or I saw one where like it's some girl looking shocked. And then it's uh, the stuff before it was like some time traveler comes in. And they're like, is this Trump's first or second term? And she's like, what? Oh, it's OK. Like, yeah. It's just like, oh God, go fuck
1: yourself. Just shut up. Just nobody needs your opinions. Go away. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I definitely seen that more recently, within like the last six months to a year, that memes have just become a way and I think this'll tie back well into where I started saying like, you know, it's it created this culture of instant gratification or or just instant information. Memes have seemed to become a way a lot of them are just a way to share your opinion in like it's not even a soundbite anymore. It's, it's like an infinitesimal version of what a soundbite was.
0: Oh yeah, we used to just have tweets that were like 140 characters, and then now we got images that you can just look at for a couple seconds. You, you had mentioned, you know, screenshots of tweets circulating. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's definitely a propensity for some places to circulate screenshots of tweets and call it news. Oh, uh, definitely, yeah. And, uh, and that's, that's
1: baffling?
0: That that's not news. That's some some dumbass's opinion.
1: Exactly. Oh, oh yeah. I I definitely, you know, I think we've talked about it. I don't know if it was on mic or, or off, but you know, I I I read those those surveys from like the last year to 5 years and it's like where do most people get their their news, their information? And in the overwhelming majority is social media. And it's yep. like yes, there are like news sources on social media. But if you give five choices to newspaper, television, social media, like media websites, if you give that just on a survey, social media could mean so many different things. Like if you get your news from the TV, you are sitting down at the TV and you are watching a channel. If you just say social media, that could be, oh man, this crazy dude that I'm friends with on Facebook posts a lot of like things that are against GMOs and that's news. And it's like – it's it's not the same category in the slightest. You need to – separate the categories of social media to get an accurate understanding of where people are getting their news and i would say if we did that most of them would be like from memes from tweet screenshots from this random person donna i know who you know is complaining about wearing a mask and things like that
0: i i definitely agree and i i think it's kind of a sad state of affairs but you're totally right about the uh the kind of instant gratification uh the thoughts that came to my mind before you had mentioned that was like it's just another step in what the internet has been doing since its creation, which is to shorten the attention span of the individual. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I for example, some of your audience members won't even be able to hear that whole
1: sentence. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think it's been a while since we've uh, belittled our audience, but I'm glad it's coming back in this comedy series for sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. Do I? I don't think that they're valueless. I don't think they were valueless. Okay. I think they became valueless. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Sure. Um, I think that what they were, what they used to be, like it was a way to identify yourself as somebody who spent some, some significant portion of your life on the internet. And, and, you know, they, they used to be kind of edgy and funny. And now it's just like, especially the political ones, it's all just party line bullshit. Yes. It's like, there's nothing edgy about this. You're, you're a fucking cog in the machine, and you're you think you're edgy because you
1: don't like the other side. Well, guess what? Fucking half of you don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, the instant gratification, the quick like sound bite type thing we were saying, all that stuff is it's like I said. I I, I think uh, we're in a Greenspan. Memes are cancer. Um, hmm. The memes that purvey that stuff. I, I think everything. The last few things we described are definitely separate from the animal pictures. But definitely. those are also cancer. <laughs> the,
0: the, the advice animal ones. So this, this
1: I, I want to make sure that this is not what you're talking about. There's these things called advice animals. Oh, oh yeah, those. Yeah, that definitely. Like I'm talking about, like the like I said at the start, when some random person with no impact on anybody's life whatsoever feels the need to take a blurry picture of their pet and post it online. And other people are like, get some satisfaction from that. That baffles me, but no, I like the um. What's the, the I think the meme these or was going around where it's like inside of you there are two wolves, and it's like one wants to diet and one wants a cheeseburger, and I'm like, this is funny, like this is what a meme is, like, like and then and then I see like the recycling of memes and the oversaturation. They'll take the same template and like for that one, for example, they'll be like, they're inside of you there are two wolves, and the picture is a black wolf and a white wolf, and they'll go one yep. is a black wolf, one is a white wolf, and I'm like. I was making these fucking stupid anti-jokes when I was in high school, and everybody thought I was a loser for it. And now, I, like, I was born, like, a generation too uh, too early or something. Like, I'd be meme king back in high school with all the stupid shit I could think of.
0: <laughs> Some of the ones that were, that were, uh, had the potential of being decent, like, Philosoraptor, I don't know if you...
1: Oh, yeah, that's an old one, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, like, those are the memes, like, that, that was back in the days when Reddit wasn't a cesspool... Well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I just didn't realize it was a cesspool, but it, it seemed,
1: seemed to be less of one. That's a good Velociraptor uh, is a good thing to bring up where I think going back to what you said, where they started that they could have value and they became valueless. Mm-hmm. I, I think Velociraptor probably has some examples, but the ones that I've seen that make me think of that when you mentioned Velociraptor is shower thoughts. Where back in the day, like like maybe like 10 years ago, even 7, 8 years ago, there were shower thoughts that I read and I was like— I don't care that it's a meme, that's an interesting thing to think. Nowadays, I read shower thoughts and I'm just like, anybody who like didn't realize this is a fucking moron. Like they've become yes. just things that it's like people are like, Wow, we're collectively stupid. And I'm like, why are we praising this?
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I've definitely I, I can't think of the example, but I ran into one of those recently where I was just like, Are you and, and it's unfair because obviously the fact that i realized something at some point in my life doesn't indicate that all of humanity should have sure yeah but like i'll read something and it's like are you just fucking coming to this <laughs> yes, yes like the times i've been screaming this at you for fucking years and you're just now getting to this conclusion or it's like either that or you just just now thought that you could karma farm
2: exactly I, I i'm not sure
0: what it is uh but no i totally agree like that's what you what you said it was like, yeah, we're collectively fucking retarded, and let's let's pat ourselves on the back about it.
1: Yep. And then it, it's not even helpful because the people that don't know that, like, and then and then read it, it's still a meme. It's gonna go in one year and out the other, and they're not gonna they're gonna make the same mistake in like a month or something. I know it's not a shower thought, but the ones that always get me are like, people will post stuff and they'll be like, "I was today years old when I realized it was for all intents and purposes." I thought it was intensive purposes. And I'm like, if you ever just thought about what you were saying, you would have some notion that you were wrong. And then I heard one where somebody was like, I always thought it was pre Madonna, like before Madonna, not prima Donna. And I'm like, what 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 world would we ever need to rank things in time from before or after Madonna? Like, why do you think that was what the saying was? Like, not, not only that, oh pre-Madonna is a
0: noun, right? Like, you call someone, you say they're being a, a Madonna. pre-Madonna. Yes, <laughs> like you don't you don't say they're being pre-Madonna. You are like, a pre-Madonna
1: artifact of time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like pre-Madonna would be like what? What is that? An adjective?
1: Yes. Yeah. Some type of modifier. Yeah. Yeah. It's a modifier,
0: <laughs> and then prima donna is a fucking noun. <laughs> yes, like, yes. Like I don't. Did, were we the only people that learned parts of speech in school? Like I swear, people. If if you ever thought about parts of speech in your in your life, most of these things would you would not even you would never be confused. Yes. You'd you'd never be like, I fucking didn't know it. It's it's a it's a part different yes. part of speech. Yes. It can't exactly.
1: be this fuck and i think on the, on that idea i think i've said to you before that i hate memes it might have been like years ago but i said i've said to you i think and other people definitely where it's like i can't stand memes anymore because i can't understand them like they're so grammatically bad that i physically and mentally cannot fathom them and there's some of them where I, i'll see them on a website and it'll be so fucked up like the grammar i will like just instantly scroll to the comments and hope hope to god hope to the god i don't believe in that somebody comments on it and they don't it's like everybody just like it doesn't matter i get what they're saying and that right. that baffles me well
0: do yourself a favor and don't look at them
1: yep i've definitely learned that <laughs> i like it's it's the point now like
0: facebook is primarily means yep um i've i have unfollowed everybody and occasionally, I have to re unfollow somebody because Facebook decides that that yes. didn't matter.
1: Yes, Facebook loves to do that crazy shit to me. Absolutely, uh,
0: but yeah, it's at the point now where where my newsfeed is mostly articles from Facebook groups that okay. I follow. Okay, <laughs> because like I don't want to see what anybody has to
1: say anymore. Yes, yes. Oh God, I totally agree with you. <laughs>
0: And it's just the political the political climate. I, I mean, we've touched on it a few times. I don't want to get bogged down into the politics of anything, but just the climate as it is, with two vehemently opposed and not at all willing to live together groups of people. Yep. Just shut the fuck up. Like yep. we get it. You don't like the Orange Man, and <laughs> and we get it. You do like the Orange Man, and you're mad that they don't like the Orange Man. We
1: don't care. Most of America doesn't give a fuck. Oh yeah, it, it's it's that uh, it's that uh, oversaturation, that recycling, you know, that we just see that same stuff. And I think it was a while ago, but I think it was when you were on here. It might have been for a, a song street commodities episode, but I still hold the stance where it's like, just the word Trump or the name Donald Trump is not the punchline of a joke. Yeah. That like bad. Like I guess to tie it back to comedy, like. Like, bad. Like, that is not comedy. Like, that is meme culture comedy, where just because you agree with something and it's, like, wrapped up in something slightly funny or could be seen as funny, it is not a good joke.
0: Uh, so, I've thought about that a little bit because, you know, there, there's the, the saying that's, you know, a lot of truth is said in jest. Sure. Uh, there, there are a lot of snippets of, of good information that people will only say in the form of a joke. Uh, I think... For various reasons, sometimes not to hurt people, sometimes mm-hmm. because they are actually afraid of saying it outright. Yeah. Um. You know, for, for whatever reason, and so I I try to give them the benefit of the doubt and think of it kind of as something like that, but it's just become so overwhelmingly like often and asinine that I can't handle it anymore.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's it's uh it's once you've seen it a few times, it wears down super fast.
0: So like, you know, an example of this of this like. Virtue signaling, self congratulatory bullshit. Um, You know, so like we got this whole mask mandate things going on now, Mm -hmm. and and there's people who do want to wear masks and people who don't want to wear masks, and uh, and all the people, like at least as far as I can tell, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but as far as I can tell, the people who don't want to wear masks, they don't want to wear them, and the people who do want to wear them just want to make fun of the people who don't want to wear them and act like there's no good reason for that, or you're being a, a baby. So, like, I'll see one that's, like, you know, it's, it's a, a guy with uh, some kind of heavy, like, ventilator mask on. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I wear this in 105-degree heat for 10 hours a day. You can wear a, a mask when you go to the grocery store. And I'm just immediately, like, that's not the same fucking thing. Definitely. You're you're getting paid $30 an hour or more to do your job that you knew required this safety equipment when you fucking took it. Yes. To, to act like that indicates in any way, shape, or form, that somebody else should wear a cloth mask on their face and that they're being a baby if they don't. It's like, bitch, I didn't apply for that job. Yep, Yeah. Um, and, like, again, not not to express my opinions because I, I wear a mask in public and I don't generally give a shit, but that's – if you're going to argue against something,
1: do it fucking well. Yes, exactly. I couldn't agree more. Yep. It's that, that belief that it's like – you know, just the concept, in name only, is all you need for a one-to-one correspondence, that type of thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's a good way to put it. They, they took that whole, arose by any other name, and they were actually like,
1: anything else by the same name. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that would be, that'd be something, just, I would love to, like, push that, like, to its satirical limit, where it's something like... Uh, like, a guy who's, I don't know, like, maybe, like, uh, someone who stocks shelves at a grocery store is, or, or someone's, like, uh, doesn't like that job for whatever reason. And then someone who's, like, a landmine detector in the army is, like, I can do my job, so you should do your job, you know? It's, like, I can, I can put a can on a shelf, so get out there and fucking search for landmines. <laughs> Oh, God. But then, no, I'm I'm with you. That's how I see it a lot as well. It's that uh, there's all these, you know, fallacies that are apparent in everyday life. And, and uh, I just want to see like a good YouTube video where you don't have stupid little cartoon characters explaining fallacies. I want to see like actual people like from news reports uh, exhibiting fallacies and using that as an example.
0: I mean, I'm down to scream about fallacies if you if you want to find some news clips and we can scream about fallacies and make a video, I'll do it. That would be very interesting. I mean, I I got a fucking PhD in math, gonna toot my own horn on that. I'm I have a I have a PhD in logic. I am down to yell about fallacies for as long as <laughs> right long on. as anybody will listen. But the false equivalence fallacy, man, it's so fucking annoying. Oh yeah, like, it's oh god, it's I'm. It actually makes me angry and it doesn't make me angry because I'm like, oh yeah, like I feel bad about my, it's like, it's not my stance is you're fucking stupid Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. everybody here is patting you on the back for it. And it's not that you're dumb that I don't, that I care about because a lot of people are dumb. It's the fact that there's so many other people patting you on the back. Exactly. It. Exactly.
1: Yep. Yeah, so tune in for a future episode of Fallismodit. No, Phallus Modities is a totally different thing. No. Nope. Fallisiodities, something like that. We'll have, <laughs> we'll have to work on the name. But maybe tune in for Phallus Modities later. Ben won't be here. I can't imagine. <laughs> so yeah. So yeah. That that's 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 a good idea. We'll have to flesh that out for sure. Um, but I, I think. This was a good, uh, this was the discussion I wanted. I know we got off topic for memes and stuff, but I've I've loved this in this comedy series. I've been, you know, ever since we started in that whole meme debate, I really wanted to pick some people's brains on that. And for most of the movies we're discussing about, I think the memes would kind of come up naturally. Not for high anxiety, I would say. I don't think this is a very similar movie that makes you think of memes or anything like that. If it does for you, Ben, then, you know, feel free to bring it up if we get to it. But, you know... It came up on airplane because, like we said back in that episode, that's almost meme the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's your vector, Victor? Ex- exactly. That that whole movie is just a stream of memes. <laughs> so so uh, with that bit out of the way, uh, hopefully we haven't disenfranchised too many people. Uh, but of course now we can get to the topic of high anxiety, and like we said, this is a Mel Brooks movie. Um, before I throw it over you, Ben, I'm going to totally say it out there. I I don't think I've ever said it on the podcast before. Of all the parody and spoof movies, this is probably my favorite. I absolutely love this movie. I, I, I know last two weeks, you know, Airplane, I'm kind of so, so on. Uh, Johnny Dangerously, I have a special place in my heart for, but that is one of the stupidest movies in existence. Like, it's so dumb. But I, I think Mel Brooks is great. I think High Anxiety... Uh, It has some dumb humor in it, don't get me wrong, but the things that they're spoofing go beyond just, you know, surface-level jokes. And I'm sure we'll talk about that, that it's spoofing, like, actual cinematography in certain places. It's spoofing, the composition of film and things like that. And I, I respect it so much. So, Ben, okay. now that uh, now that you've seen it, I think you've seen it. I hope you're not lying to me. Um, <laughs> uh, I guess maybe if you want to talk a little bit about your history with the, the parody or spoof movies and then go into high anxiety, what do you think about this type of stuff?
0: I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with Airplane. I I think that I've watched some of it. Okay. Um, I don't know that I ever finished it. It wasn't my cup of tea when I, when I was younger. I... I Pretty much anything that looked old was a kind of an immediate turnoff for me. Okay. I was just like not gonna. So like airplane, airplane looked old when I was young. You, you, know, heard, so that, you were
1: a movie ageist. Yeah,
0: definitely, <laughs> definitely. Um, there's some some movie that have, it's got a gun in the title, and I think it has that same guy.
1: From oh yeah, airplane. Leslie Nielsen, The Naked Gun. Yeah,
0: Naked Gun. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I remember that being pretty funny. Um, I kind of had the same issue where the age of it turned me off a little bit. Sure. But, uh, uh, and then Young Frankenstein is actually a movie. Uh, I think it's also Mel Brooks, right? Yep. Oh, Young yeah, definitely. So that's actually one that I that I did like quite yep. a bit.
1: Right on. That's uh, a good movie. It's
0: a decent uh, type of spoof movie. Putting
1: on the Ritz. <laughs>
0: <laughs> walk this way.
1: <laughs> so
0: some, some of the jokes in Young Frankenstein, like the walk this way joke, they're, they're really good. But I would say in general, when I when I want to laugh, I do not go to spoof movies.
1: Yes, I would agree with you there. That's kind of what I've been saying about a lot of, of spoof and parody movies. Um, and I think we'll get into it with this movie in particular. But one of my issues with Airplane and Johnny Dangerously is that it's like it's like a stand-up routine first and a movie second. Like it's 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 a loose movie to just. A, make a vehicle for jokes and i like more of a structured comedy and for example you know the comedy in say like a chasing amy or a jay and silent bob strike back where there's an actual story there's something to keep you going for sure i'm with you there
0: i does it's a good way to put it um you know jay and silent bob strike back even is a movie before it's a comedy yes it's also a comedy it's very funny but it's uh <laughs> it does it does have a plot to some degree I, I did enjoy this movie, though. Um, okay. I actually had no... So, like, when, the, the name of the movie, High Anxiety, um, and, you know, of course, the way the movie starts out, this, it just shows this guy just freaking the fuck out in this airplane. Yes. And so I, I was just, like... I thought that was really funny, like you know, the the plane flies by and you see his face, he's all like "Ah!" he's like freaked out about like everyone else seems happy and he's just like fucking scared as shit. Yep. And then he gets off the plane and that that lady looks like she's trying to
1: fucking murder him. Oh that scream that the lady does is so perfect.
0: And then, like, he, he finally gets out of the airport, and he's like, that's a dramatic airport. Yep. <laughs> uh, I definitely liked the, the the joke that it was not him. Like, it wasn't him being anxious that made the airport dramatic. It was the airport. Just the dramatic. airport.
1: Yep, yep. Okay, okay, right on, right on. So good. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I know that comedy is always so subjective, which is part of the reason I want to do this series. I love talking about something that's so subjective. But I also wanted to mention that when I pitched this to Ben, uh, so I had I've had high anxiety. I've wanted to do on cinematis forever, and I knew uh, doing this series, high anxiety was something I kind of the, the spark of it. And I I love it, of course, because as we mentioned, it's spoofing uh, Alfred Hitchcock movies. And I had the thought because I you know we got really lucky in the sense that when LaShawn and I did Airplane, he had never seen Airplane before, and so we got like a fresh take on it. And I thought that was really cool, and that gave me the idea to be like, oh well, you know. I said to myself, as I always do, like a good friend, I don't want to put Ben in a box, but I'm going to fucking do it anyway. And so I said to Ben, you have no experience with Hitchcock, right? Like, then you should come on and talk about this movie that's like solely referencing Hitchcock. And he was like, yeah, I have no idea, like, what a Hitchcock is. So <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> it's uh, some kind of game, right? <laughs> but so I, I really think that's going to be interesting. Or I, w- I was looking for that opinion of, you know, even if you didn't fully understand what it was referencing, you still found the humor and the enjoyment in it. Would you say that's fair? Oh, definitely. I think that's really important for comedy because something we've been talking about this series as well is that there are some people that say that comedy needs to be timeless. And what some people that have, uh, I've heard say that, and they, they seem to mean by that, is that if you are referencing something that somebody might not know, it's a bad joke. And I think that is complete nonsense. Because just because you might not understand the complete reference, there's still some there could be inherent humor to it, and I think this movie is the perfect example of that. Like like the whole concept of high anxiety, it's a parody of Vertigo, which is the Alfred Hitchcock film, and he's afraid of heights. He gets vertigo. And it's like, you might not know that, but it's, you know, it's high anxiety and the, the music crashes and the people notice that it's the music is playing and stuff like that. And, and so I, I think that that's just nonsense. And, Ben, you're, you're living proof of this that even if you don't get all the references, you can still find some humor in it for sure.
0: Um, you said Vertigo is, is also a movie about someone who's afraid of heights?
1: So it's, a, it's about the guy who – well, it's not fully about that, but the main character of the movie Vertigo like has the condition Vertigo.
0: Vertigo just means you get dizzy.
1: Well, yeah, but, but anybody who has ever had it will describe it as that it seems like they're way high up. So it's oh, it has okay. to do with the, the feeling that you, you do get dizzy and such, but uh, it has to do with the feeling that you're much higher up than you actually are.
0: Oh, no, I did not know that. I yep, just yep. the dizzy part.
1: But once again, Ben, I don't want to put you in a box, but you don't have vertigo, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't have it either. <laughs> no, I don't have
0: vertigo, right? But if I did have vertigo, a box might be the safest place for me.
1: <laughs> fair fair so so uh, since Ben does not have this experience with Hitchcock um, I did want to talk a little bit about the things that I think will come into play in this movie um, in what gets referenced but I think most importantly and, and one of the reasons I love this movie so much is that it's not only parodying the movies of Hitchcock in like their, their plots, their themes, their characters things like that but this movie is you know I think identifiably parodying the style of Hitchcock even, you know, if you're familiar with Hitchcock movies and you see that opening scene in the airport, like the way it's shot and everything is just like Hitchcock to a T. Like that was his style. I, I can't imagine why Hitchcock would ever come up on cinema It's the furthest thing from an oddity. It's kind of like, you know, Hitchcock is to film as like what the Wright brothers were to airplanes type of thing. Like that's how important Hitchcock is. So it's not really oddity. So, uh, But I did want to give some, some shout outs to it like, you know, Hitchcock might not have been the first to do some of these things, but he's the per- person that popularized it and refined it, so uh, dolly shots or dolly zooms, if, if you don't know what that name is, if you've ever seen in a movie where like, it'll f- go into a character's face and the camera will zoom in on the character's face, but it looks like everything in the background is getting farther away. That's a dolly shot or a dolly zoom, so Hitchcock did that. Whirling camera effects to uh, show, like, anxiety and things like that. Double exposure, that was one of Hitchcock's big things. The whole concept of point of view filmmaking did not really exist before Hitchcock, like seeing things through a character's eyes. And so his fingerprints are all over film today, and, and rightfully so. In this movie, like I said, you know, he's, Mel Brooks is making fun of the characters and things like that. But he even goes further where he's, you know, making fun of the cinematography, like I said, from the style of shots to their length, to their construction, to the timing of certain scenes. Uh, a lot of locations are used. If Hitchcock filmed a location, he, Mel Brooks tried to get that location in this movie as well. Um, the whole scene with the pigeons, which is a parody of Hitchcock's The Birds, where instead of the birds attacking Mel Brooks, they're just shitting on him. <laughs> and Mel Brooks actually got the same bird handler to to w- film that scene with him. And the guy, like, all the minor characters in this movie, uh, like Arthur Brisbane at the end, is played by Albert Whitlock, who is Alfred Hitchcock's special effects person. Like, this movie, as I was, like, watching it and researching and thinking about it again, because it's been, like, maybe a year or two since I've rewatched it, I was kind of like, this almost isn't, like, a spoof or a parody it's more of like an homage to Hitchcock with how much is going on. <laughs> that's, that's neat,
0: the, the connection to the bird handler. I, I definitely got the, because, you know, I don't have a lot of Hitchcock experience, but I've heard of birds. And I've heard of yep. S- Psycho and some of the other uh, classics. I definitely got a birds vibe. When he's getting shit on my pitch. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, definitely there's the parody of that. There's the parody of the, the shower scene in Psycho, which is a great example of a parody. I love that scene. Um, you know, there I think I think it's like ten or twelve Hitchcock films that are parodied or referenced in some way, even down to like the nitty gritty, like uh, that random scene when, when uh, Victoria Brisbane first shows up to his Mel Brooks's hotel room and she's like, somebody's following me, close the blinds, like get on the floor, close the blinds. Like that is almost, that is almost an exact scene from uh, the 39 steps, which is one of Hitchcock's earlier films. It's just like to a T, this is just Hitchcock through and through. So, so I did want to mention, uh, because I found this hilarious in my research, that uh, Hitchcock did get to see this movie. So Hitchcock died in 1980. This movie came out in 1977, and Hitchcock was shown even like an early screening before it came out in, en masse. And Mel Brooks was very worried about what Hitchcock was going to think of it. And it turns out that Hitchcock actually loved it. He sent Mel Brooks a case of wine in, uh, kinda in congratulations for it. But I, I was laughing hysterically when I read that apparently Hitchcock's only criticism of this movie was that in the parody of the shower scene from Psycho, and it shows Mel Brooks grab the shower curtain and it shows, like, it rip off the uh, the, the rings, in High Anxiety, there are 13 curtain rings in the shot, there are ten curtain rings in the original Psycho, and that is Hitchcock's <laughs> one criticism of this movie.
0: <laughs> that
1: that speaks uh,
0: volumes. That's awesome.
1: Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
0: I mean, it says a lot about Hitchcock too,
1: for like him to be able to handle somebody spoofing his life's work. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's always um, you know, I think uh, Mel Brooks was certainly established by this point with um, you know, things like the producers and silent movie. Um, and so I'm sure Hitchcock had some respect for him, and uh, I'm glad that he appreciated it for sure. And I'm glad he got to see it as well. You know, that's something we've talked about on Cinemodities before is that when movies are adapted from someone's work but that person is dead, it would be so interesting to see, like, what they thought about it type of thing. So so I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about some more references and things like that as we get through some scenes to Hitchcock. Um, but, I, of course, I think it's very fair to mention that this does parody some other things than just Hitchcock – um, some are very strange and I think don't really fit, uh, like at the end when uh, Nurse Diesel is the Wicked Witch of the West from Wizard of Oz for like one little bit. I'm always like, that doesn't really fit for any reason. <laughs> um, we get uh, a parody of Jaws from The Spy Who Loved Me, the James Bond movie with the hitman, Braces. And it's like, oh, yeah. it's like, I don't even really think of James Bond as suspense movies, really. <laughs> and then, of course, I think it's just um, Mel Brooks wanted to do this, but... We get a scene where Mel Brooks uh, sings the high anxiety song in like the bar of the hotel. And that is a straight Frank Sinatra parody. Like the way he sings and like how he like jokes with the audience while it's just a musical interlude and stuff like that. So there's some stuff in here that just kind of is thrown in there. I think Mel Brooks is just having fun. But uh, overall, you know, the the Hitchcock carries it for sure.
0: (laughs) The, The things you mentioned as not fitting in. Uh, they didn't disrupt my viewing experience.
1: Yeah, that, that's definitely a, a good point. I think that goes back to um, what we were saying that we like from our spoofs and comedies, and this movie falls into it. This, I think, is very wholeheartedly a a movie with spoof in it. Like, it is not just some loose plot that is just, you know, in service of jokes. There's an actual, like, story going on in this, and it's, it's a pretty detailed, consistent story, which I really like.
0: Definitely. It's, um... What like a, a a psych insane asylum or a yes
1: yeah the uh, the psych the, psycho-neurotic the institute for the very the very, very, very nervous. nervous and very yeah. is underlined and I love that there's a little touch when because it introduces the um, when he when he drives Mel Brooks like drives into this place or is driven into this place and it shows the the the, uh, the archway and it says that and the the second very is underlined. On the archway. And then later on, in the scene where the patient comes in and him and Dr. Montague are like analyzing the patient, he- he's wearing like the pajamas from the institute. And it has the abbreviation of the institute, so like P N I V V N, and the second V is underlined on the pajamas. <laughs> and I'm just like, that's a very nice touch, right there. <laughs> that,
0: that's a good detail. I, I really liked the institute name, the very, very nervous. Yes. Of course, but the first thing I thought when I saw him was like, he he is not somebody that should be in charge of this place. He's somebody that should be in this place.
1: Yes, I, I love that opening scene, like you said, where he's freaking out in the airplane at the airport, like. That sets up the whole, like, Hitchcock vibe of the movie, but it also does a great job at showing that Dr. Thorndike, Mel Brooks, is so afflicted himself. Like, yeah. he is clearly, you know, afraid of heights. He's super paranoid, it seems. And, and he gets roped into going into the bathroom with the flasher. <laughs> so he's a little too trusting, maybe. <laughs> Which comes up later with Victoria yeah. Brisbane. He's yeah, just exactly. like, I'm going to help you, you know? Uh, who are you? <laughs> who are they? Yes.
3: Get away from the door. Who are you? Get away from me. Just a second. Wait, quiet, they'll hear you. Don't move. Go inside. Go to your room. Go to my room. The drapes! Close the drapes. Close the drapes, close the drapes. Close the drapes. Close the other one. Get down! Lower. Good. Quick, come here. Get up. Sit down. Not there. Here. Here? There. Now, will you please tell me, who
0: are you and who are they? Is high anxiety really what they used to call fear of heights? Is that...
1: Oh, that's a... That's a good question. I don't know. I've never heard of it uh, anywhere other than this movie.
0: Like, I definitely thought, you know, you, you had told me Hitchcock's spoof, and I, I figured high anxiety was like it was just they were they were naming the movie something that you would experience while watching them a
1: hitchcock movie like a high level of anxiety Hmm. okay i i could i get where you're coming from yeah but i've always i've always just known it as the 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 um the play on vertigo or the the fear of heights in this movie
0: like fear of heights is a thing and it's always been called the fear of heights my whole
1: life yeah so for him to
0: be like he has high anxiety <laughs> I was just like, "That's not where I expected that to go." <laughs>
1: <laughs> Definitely, no. A, a quick Google of just high anxiety, of course, brings this movie up, and then it looks like there's one article, on, at least on the first page of you know my Google search, that is a web MD, but somebody posting, and the title of it is "Got High Anxiety," and it talks about high levels of anxiety. Yeah,
0: that's and so that's what I thought was high levels of anxiety. I thought this was going to be a movie like. That was going to induce GAD or something. <laughs> <laughs> and it couldn't be farther
1: from that. <laughs> Definitely.
0: So, so I thought that was
1: interesting. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a good point. I've never – since I've known about this movie, like since I was younger, I've never thought about it that way at all. So, so I think uh, you started the setup very well. You know, uh, Mel Brooks is now the head of the Psycho-Neurotic Institute for the Very, Very Nervous – it, it, he's he's there because the previous uh, head of the Institute was uh, killed. He's dead. I, I forget how they – I think they say that he killed himself or something um, or he had a break or something like that. But he's dead now. And you, you get in the, the very, you know, over-embellished kind of making fun of Hitchcock way that something's not right at this institute, you know? And they do all that classic stuff where they they cut to people after a line is said looking very shady or someone's like, tries to say something but gets cut off by the villains. That happens a lot. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That is, like, <laughs> like, full-on suspense film parody right there. <laughs> like, at one point when he's
0: talking to... Uh... I think Wentworth, the guy who dies later. Yeah. He's just like he start. he says like three words and then they cut him off. He's like bye like he just leaves.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Well Doctor Thorndyke, may I say Charles oh. Goodbye. You see
3: what I mean? What I'm trying to tell
1: My you.
2: Is- Goodbye.
1: And and he, the plot really isn't uncovered. I think the plot kind of happens to Mel Brooks more in the movie. But it turns out that the uh, the people who work at the institute are trying to fake records or or get very rich people to stay there so they can gouge their families for money. And and of course Mel Brooks doesn't like this. He he gets. I think he gets a kind of you know aware of this because Victoria Brisbane. Tries to you know talk to him because she thinks her father's still sick, but it turns out that he isn't. They're keeping him there for that uh, financial reason, and then the the bad guys try and take Mel Brooks out by framing him for murder, which is a just a clear Hitchcock reference. You know, The Wrong Man is a movie all about a guy getting you know framed for murder, and they he's accused of a crime he didn't commit. So they take that element from it, and then of course they have to stop. Mel Brooks has to stop the bad guys and. uh in true comedy form, there's a marriage at the end.
0: <laughs> we glossed over something. Uh, sure. sure. A, as uh, Offrey, is that the driver's name? As that oh, guy's driving Brophy. him. Brophy. Brophy yeah. Uh, as Brophy's driving him to the, uh, to the Institute for the Very, Very Nervous. Yep. He, he mentions the death of, of the former head, whatever mm-hmm. his name, whatever his title is. And, uh, and says, you know, something Is suspicious about it. Like he, he basically like implies that there's no. he's I think even outright says that he's like the victim of some foul play. And then of course you hear like suspenseful music, and they they're looking around like they they can hear the music, and then there's a fucking symphony bus on the highway
1: playing playing the symphony. Yes, and that that joke comes up a few times in this movie, and I. I was looking into it, and I, I couldn't find... I, I was doing it a little too late, but maybe I'll do a correction if when I have time to do more research. I think this might be the first movie to make, like a diegetic music joke where like non-diegetic music is revealed to be diegetic and the characters can hear it this might be Mel Brooks might have invented that which is very cool I think because I think everybody knows that now it's been done in TV shows and kids cartoons like that's just a a beat to death joke and I'm pretty sure this is the first instance of it okay Uh, what does diegetic mean? so diegetic music is in any media it's music that the, the audience and the characters are hearing okay so like a good example of diegetic music would be like uh the the Star Wars Cantina theme. Like they go into the cantina and it's like yeah. the characters hear that as well. That's diegetic. And so this this movie is taking something that's supposed to be non-diegetic and revealing it to be diegetic and that is a joke. And that's exactly where this movie thrives because it's making fun of the construction of film. Definitely.
0: Uh there's there's a scene later where whatever the lady's name is the the evil nurse lady. Oh, N-
1: Nurse Diesel.
0: Nurse <laughs> Diesel. <laughs>
1: <laughs> played by the great Cloris Leachman, who is fantastic in this movie. I love her performance in this movie.
0: There, there's a scene where her and... I'm blanking on all their names. The, the doctor that she's working with.
1: The one that she's uh, also lovers with?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah she...
1: D- Dr. Montague. Yeah, played by Harvey Corman Yeah. Uh,
0: so Montague and Diesel are frantically discussing something and drinking tea oh yes and there's so much like passing of sugar and it's and like the shot is done from underneath the table looking through so you mostly see a tea saucer and they're like passing sugar around and stirring things more frantically and drinking and like there's just constant motion for that whole
1: interaction that might be one of the greatest like ...parody scenes I've ever, ever witnessed. Because, like you said, you're exactly right. The the shot starts where it's underneath this glass table so you can see through... And then the whole time, you're right, they're consistently passing and putting things down, and the camera has to move to keep them in frame.
2: <laughs> and that,
1: that's another great cinematography gag where it's like, oh my, like, that is genius. That's one of those things. I know I, I mentioned in the airplane episode where, like, great comedy to me, I don't usually, like, if I find something amazingly funny, I don't laugh at it. I'm more in awe of it. And I'm in awe of that scene. Like that is a that is a constructed joke where I'm like it's funny, you had to be clever to think about it. You know, you have to actually watch the scene to understand it. You don't need to like like uh like f- know anything else in the movie. It's perfectly encapsulated. That is fantastic filmmaking right there. I have
0: to agree. That's a that's a damn good scene. I I was a little bit blown away by it when I saw it. Like I was like this is fucking funny. Yes. <laughs> this yes, this is it's a good idea.
1: Great comedy like you're in awe of it, absolutely, and that is definitely one of those scenes for sure. And and uh, I, there's another one. The the it's more overt, but it, it's definitely like making fun of of Hitchcock and, and some uh, I think like Orson Welles and stuff. But the scene where Wentworth doesn't want to be at the institute anymore, he doesn't want to be involved, and he's like, I feel like I'm caught in a web, and the shadow from the window like creates a web like pattern behind him. Like, that, that is so much, like, done, you know, in, like, the lighting of a scene where characters are trapped in a web, but the, it looks like there's a web of shadows behind them, and then he specifically mentions it, and I'm just <laughs> like, that's great. The other things that always stand out to me is um, the, the camera at the dinner table— the camera's panning from the outside to the big, like, dinner table at the Institute the first night Mel Brooks is there, and it gets closer and closer to the window, and in every movie, you know, you expect the camera to track through the window and, like, follow the scene, but it breaks the window pane, and all the <laughs> characters look and then it slowly backs away. <laughs> it's, so, it's so good. It's like making fun of all these things you subconsciously see in movies and, like, actually making you think about them, because what, well, I think when I was little once i saw that scene and then the ending at the honeymoon when the camera breaks through the wall as it's leaving the honeymoon and there's a giant coal in the wall and and they're look, and like the characters are looking at it every time i see a tracking shot like that now i'm just like yeah like that would break the window like either <laughs> either they just don't have a window pane in there or they took two shots and edit it together like you can't actually move a camera through a window goddamn movie liars <laughs> <laughs>
0: And that's that's another good joke, uh, and then like later, there's actually another broken window that was a rock thrown through it. Oh
1: yes, welcome from the vi- from the violence ward. <laughs> <laughs> the giant rock. Oh yeah. Oh, um, that was the the second
0: or third iteration of the Brophy can't carry things joke. Yeah, I got it. I got it. I got it. I ain't got, I ain't got it. I ain't got it. I'll
3: get the trunk, Oh, yeah. Paul. I got it. I got it. I got it. I ain't got it. I'll get it. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. I ain't got it.
1: Whenever I, that, that is, that joke has stuck with me. When I first saw this, I was young and I think like that, that's definitely one of those jokes that's just like stupid humor. Like he can't pick up anything and he just like keeps trying and he's like, I got it. I I ain't got it. Whenever I make that reference, I haven't done it in a while, but I I know in college, like, I would be, like, making that joke. Like, I'd pick something up, and even though I wasn't, like, straining myself, I would just say, like, I got it, I got it, I ain't got it, when I would put it down. Like, imagine, like, picking something up from the ground to a table. And anybody who got that reference, they would always be like, oh, that's that scene from the Goonies. Because there's a scene in the Goonies where Chunk has the, is trapped with the Fratellis, and they're like, go get the the water cooler thing and put it on the, the water. Container dispenser, or whatever, and Chunk picks it up and goes, I got it, I got it, I, I ain't got it. And he s- drops it, and it breaks all over the floor, and they get mad at him.
2: Okay, Mouse, that's all I can stand, and I can't stand no more. I got it, I got it, I got it.
1: I don't got it. You clutch.
2: Hope it's not a deposit bottle.
1: And I'm like, it's not from the Goonies. Like, the Goonies is referencing high anxiety. Like, I'm doing the original reference. Like, I was a true <laughs> hipster in college when everybody's like, oh, you're the Goonies. And I'm like, no.
0: <laughs> Do you, is it, like, fact-based that, that the Goonies are referencing high anxiety there? Or
1: I know it's, I know it's uh, listed online as that reference. I've never, like, read it. Like, uh, the director of the Goonies is Richard Donner, and he's done some comedies, the Goonies included. I would imagine he was influenced by Mel Brooks. Okay. As most comedians were, um, but but yeah, I, I that's a good question. Of course, just because it came earlier, does that mean the next things are reference? Because of course, you know the law of very large numbers. Nothing is unique in the long run. <laughs>
0: exactly. I mean, fuck even. Uh, oh, what's that? The triangle, the math thing with the construction principle. Do you know what I'm talking about?
1: The triangle. <laughs> it's it's for. Oh, God. It's uh,
0: you can use it to Pascal's triangle.
1: Oh, okay, sure, sure. Pascal. I was thinking of many triangles <laughs> in mathematics. Oh, but yeah, you're exactly right. Like what Pascal's triangle? What Blaise Pascal was Italian or something like that. And then there's Pascal's triangle shows up in India and in like ancient mathematics, like for years or way it earlier. Up, it shows up
0: in China way earlier too. Yeah,
1: yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, on that topic, with the, with the stupid comedy, you know, it's, it's uh, that, that brophy joke is definitely, I think, like some dumb comedy. Um, we talked about it in the last two episodes a lot, where there's some comedy that I would consider dumb, but I still laugh at it. Uh, like, Airplane. In Airplane, we talked about Roger, Roger Ebert's quote when he reviewed Airplane was, This movie is filled with jokes you laugh at twice. You laugh at the joke once, and then you laugh at yourself for laughing at something so stupid. <laughs> and I, I definitely feel that way with a lot of comedy where it'll make me chuckle or laugh or I'll like, uh, I'll like think it's funny. And then almost immediately afterwards, I'll be like, why did I think that was funny? Like, <laughs> like, who am I? And I definitely get some of that sense from the Brophy joke, but I, I definitely feel that way. I definitely laugh in the, um, the psychiatry conference scene where Mel Brooks, the kids are in the audience. So Mel Brooks is saying like the kitty names of all the sex organs and there's something about that that I laugh at, and then I'm just like, this is, this should be beneath me, right? <laughs> <laughs> just, like,
0: judge yourself a little bit for
1: that? Yeah, it's almost yeah. like I have this self-pitying feeling after I laugh at those jokes. Where, the the one that gets me is where uh, Mel Brooks is like, you know, the, uh, he's like, not the balloons, the lower, the, uh, the woo-woo. And the guy in the audience goes, the, the woo-woo? woo-woo. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm just, it gets me every time. And I'm like, this is so dumb. <laughs> Sorry I'm late. Forgive me for bringing the kids. I couldn't get a sitter.
3: Please, have a seat. As I was saying, in a world of predominantly male-oriented psychology, it was only natural to arrive at the term P. P. p envy Are you saying there's absolutely no validity to... p envy It has no more validity than if a man envied a woman's balloons. Dr. Thorndike, sir, uh, do you feel that the trauma of toilet training has any bearing on the sexual future of the adolescent? Toilet training. Toilet training. That's a vast area. Let's be more specific. Are we talking about... Number one... Or cocky duty? Well, let's say for the sake of argument, cocky duty. I'd have to say professionally that cocky duty has very little to do with the future sexual development of the adolescent. Thank you. You're welcome. Let me backtrack for a second. The female erogenous zone. You mean the balloons? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, lower, lower, much lower, uh, where, where the babies come out of, the woo, uh, the woo-woo. The woo-woo? Yes. The woo-woo, perhaps the most significant psychological feminine component known to mankind.
0: Is it uh, number one or Or, or, cocky
1: cocky doo-doo? And and the guy says, for the sake of argument, let's say cocky (laughs) (laughs) doo-doo. And I'm just like, oh my God, like what is wrong with me? Do you ever get that feeling, like that that dumb humor that you fall for sometimes? Definitely. I don't, I don't think there's too much of that in this movie, but it's an interesting idea. I don't think I get to laugh at it twice.
0: I laugh at it once and then I feel bad.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's true. Self pitying and, and uh, judging yourself comes out in a lot of different ways for different people, for sure. <laughs> it's like I'm not laughing. I'm just like ah, oh, I'm better than this. Ben uh, Ben watches things with uh, one of those flayed whips. One of the you know like whatever they're called is like and he watches a comedy and if he laughs at anything he deems inappropriate he whips himself a few times <laughs>
0: uh, self-flagellate
1: yes you self-flagellate yourself absolutely i don't think there were oh well i i just saw the quote in my notes another thing that i find very stupid but i laugh at is um it, it, it's it's truly like a language or a linguistic joke but when dr thorndyke mel brooks uh, goes to the institute on that first day he sees uh, or, uh, his, his old mentor, Dr. Little Old Man, Little Old Man. He shows up and he, he sees that Mel Brooks still has high anxiety. So he's like, we're going to beat this, you and me. And Mel Brooks is like, do you think that's really Nessa? It is Nessa. Nessa? <laughs> it's very Nessa. Don't tell me what's Nessa. I'll tell you what's Nessa. But Professor, is it really Nessa? It is Nessa. I know what is Nessa.
3: Don't tell me what's Nessa. I tell you what's Nessa.
1: Like, that is so dumb, like, but I love it. Like, I love that joke because it's, I guess it it is kind of well-crafted in terms of, like, the linguistic sense, but then Dr. Little Old Man says it, like, four times, and I'm just like, this is, this is, this should not be making me laugh as much as it is.
0: (laughs) Is Nessa actually a word? Or is
1: that... I don't think so either. Yeah, I don't think so. It's he's definitely. He's just like cutting him off. Yeah, he's cu- cutting off uh, necessarily. So he's like, yeah. "Is it Nessa?" And then it's just like, "I'll tell you what's Nessa. Don't tell me what's Nessa." <laughs> it's so dumb. <laughs> I, I think I, I'm a I'm a fan of that.
0: Uh, I, let's see if I can characterize it. Like, like would you take it too far? It's like. There's a level where maybe it's funny, and then there's like too far that's not funny anymore. And then there's like way too far, and it's funny again. Yes, yes. That's that's kind of how I feel about this. Like you know, the third yeah. time he says it, it whatever. It's like oh,
1: definitely. Okay. It's uh, I've always thought of that stuff as like you know, you're, you're taking some concept. Whether even I think generalizing it, whether or not that first concept is comedic or not inherently, it's like you are pushing it to its its maximum level of absurdity. And, you know, like, definitely, I think, you know, some of my favorite sketch comedy shows have done that. Like, I think Key and Peel gets noted for doing that, where they just – they take some little small idea and they push it to the absolute maximum. And it's fresh in my head because I know that we've discussed it earlier this month, but um, there's that Key and Peel sketch where – it's like they're both at a soul food restaurant and they're both trying to like outdo each other with with what like down home like down home cooking they can order and you know it starts with like oh i want to get grits and i want a side of collard greens but it ends up with them being like you know one of them saying i want a fish head wrapped in newspaper and barbed wire on a cellar door and a human foot and it's just <laughs> like they're just pushing like that they just push it to its absolute absurdity where in the middle of that sketch you're like okay, I get the joke, like, I get what they're doing, you know? But then they just keep going, and they throw in, like, cellar door and human foot, and you've reached that absurdity, and you're like, okay, this is this is funny again type of thing. Definitely. Yeah, I, I think, I never really thought of that Nessa joke, but the repetition definitely, you know, mimics there, that. I think there's a little
0: bit, it's always something Philadelphia does kind of the thing I'm trying to describe, but I, I'm having a hard time completely characterizing, because that's, it's it's a it's a little different than just like taking it too far mm-hmm. or taking pushing it to its extremes. It's just like the the rapid fire, just like okay. It's like the 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 speed at which he says all those things is is uh, part of what makes it funny.
1: Ah, uh, oh, okay, I I get you, I get you. Yeah, that's um. That's something like, I don't think we... It's, we've, like,
0: overwhelming, rather, maybe, than
2: more yes, than... Yes. I don't
1: think that's something we've talked about a lot this month yet. I think that's more of a more recent development in comedy, you know? Like, I think, like, the, the, the 2000s, when we get some of that stuff where, you know, fast-talking comedy, things like that. I definitely think of Aqua Teen Hunger Force when I think of that. Like, the, they, they talk so fast in that show where it's like, you know, there's so much coming at you so quickly, and there's some instances of repetition. I don't think that was nothing comes to mind when I think of like the 70s or 80s comedy where they did that type of thing it was much more much more calm you know laying the groundwork for jokes and then letting them letting them breathe a little bit more
0: right yeah it's definitely a new development I think it's always sunny in Philadelphia does it pretty well that's some good shit
1: oh yeah that is a that is a a very funny show Um, I haven't I have to catch up I think there's a few seasons I haven't seen of that and uh, after Danny DeVito the series on Danny DeVito I just want to see more Danny DeVito (laughs) I'm the trash man. So so uh, I think, uh, you know, speaking of this development in comedy and things like that, um, I think, you know, this is one of those things where it's like, you know, what more could be said about Mel Brooks? Mel Brooks is a huge influence on so many comedians of this day. And I'm glad that he he gets his recognition because, you know, like we were saying before, this is a very a very plot-heavy movie. It's very tight. You know, there is a story that jokes are just melded in with. Um, And I, like I said earlier also, this is what I think a parody or spoof movie should be. I wanted to bring up this in comparison to something like Airplane, which is just, you know, gag a minute or a gag every five seconds. Like the movie tricks you into thinking it's funny because there's just a buckshot approach of jokes that you're going to find like 40% of it funny so you leave thinking you laughed the whole time uh, type of thing. I I think there's a, a clear separation between this and Airplane, not only in the style but of what they've led to in modern comedy. You know, like... Like the the airplanes have gotten us to things like the scary movies, which have gotten us to things like date movie, disaster movie, epic movie, which I think are just like the lowest form of comedy. And I think things like High Anxiety and Mel Brooks have gotten us to the the Austin Powers. And I don't really know if there's anything recent that does kind of a parody in this way. Like like Austin Powers, I think is a very good parody movie because it's parodying james bond you know almost solely and and those action spy movies and i i can't think of anything more recent that really does that i mean to bring up something that we might get uh we might talk about more next month with ben but i think the closest thing you have to that is like the rock and kevin hart like they'll be like let's do a spy movie where we're cia agents together or something like that but that's not exactly in the same vein as, like, a, 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 an Austin Powers or a High Anxiety.
0: Right. No, I, I definitely agree. I think that the the Rock and Kevin Hart movies are, it is a spy movie. It's just also a comedy.
1: Yes. It's not it's not parodying anything. It's just sitting in that genre. Right. I don't know. Have there been, uh, you know, like, of course, you know, Spaceballs is a parody of Star Wars. Have there ever been any parodies of, like uh, like, say, the Fast and the Furious movies? Not yet
0: that I am aware of. This.
1: I know that that's the thing that I was thinking too. I wanted to say not yet, but yet implies like, oh, it's coming. There's like what, six million five hundred eighty thousand Fast and the Furious movies now? Like how has there not been a parody yet?
0: <laughs> I I'm not I mean I know that there are some movies I I don't think that they're spoofed. They're like I don't know if I don't know if there's exactly this for Fast and the Furious, but I think Death Race has uh, some movies that are like a lot like it, but don't have big name actors in them.
1: Okay, okay. Sure. And they like a sure. straight to
0: DVD, but yeah, I don't think they're yeah. I don't think they're like supposed to be funny. I think I think that they're supposed to be serious, and as a result, they're pretty bad.
1: Yeah, they're low budget, all that stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. the uh, The best Death Race movie is uh, the original Death Race two thousand from the from the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> we covered that. That's a Paul Bartel movie, which everybody forgets. I've um, never seen it. it. It is great. It's got Sylvester Stallone in it. And, oh, uh, and, uh, oh man, yeah, it's good. Check out our episode on Death Race 2000, everybody.
0: <laughs> I, I liked the, uh, the Jason Statham version.
1: I've never, I've never seen it, but I, I've wanted to check it out since we, since I watched the original and I actually, like, loved it. Like, I thought it was such a great commentary and satire. So I have to, I know the Jason Statham one inherently because Jason Statham is in it is much more action packed type of thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, assuming that the original was not. Non-stop
1: action. There's some action, but it's very much like a commentary on like media as like the opiate of the masses. Oh, and it's it's very it's very clever. Like Paul Bartel, as we said in our series on Paul Bartel, is the most influential filmmaker no one has ever heard of.
0: <laughs> okay, I, I mean, I've certainly never heard of him.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, you're you're right with the death race stuff, and and it's like it's more so that maybe maybe that's where parodies have gone today. Is that they're not comedies. They are just things sitting in a genre that are just mimicking movies of that genre, like your death races, like, uh, you know, maybe I'm trying to think of some more recent examples. Uh, disaster movies, once again, with The Rock, like he does those San Andreas, that movie. Uh, what's the other one? Tower or something? He, he's like the the art, he's like the guy who designs that, that tower and he, it's like falling down. I he has to rescue his recently. wife or something.
0: Oh, I guess that wasn't
1: that recent. I watched it. Skyscraper? Was that what it was called? Maybe. Okay. So it's like, maybe that's what our parodies are now. Yeah, yeah. He's like, isn't he like he's the security engineer for the really big building or something like that? That's definitely, I like that. That's what it's called. The really big building. (laughs) (laughs) This building's tall, yo. That's the title (laughs) of the movie. (laughs) I mean, I'm trying to think of what else we had in terms of like spoofs and parodies. And the only other thing that comes to mind is... Sasha Baron Cohen with, like, Borat and Ali G and and oh, Bruno yeah. is that – that's definitely not – it's, it's like, a spoof more of, you know, documentaries and stuff like that or or people or characters. But then after that, it seems like it dropped off. Like, we don't get, you know, like, a parody of, like, The Fast and the Furious. It seems like they all got lumped into those date movie, epic movie, disaster movie, superhero movie.
0: Did you watch uh, Don't Mess with the Zohan?
1: I have. I've only seen that once.
0: I don't know if that quite counts as a parody. That might just be a stupid comedy.
1: <laughs> Did you know that there's like a very large group of people, probably a majority, who think that's like Adam Sandler's masterpiece? What? Seriously? See, like, like seriously. I don't. I have to rewatch it again to understand. But there are people who are like defend that movie as like amazing. In turn, in like in it, in and of itself, and from Adam Sandler.
2: That's.
0: Weird. That movie was not great.
1: <laughs> I I would agree that it is very weird, but I gotta I have to check it out uh, for sure. The only thing I remember from that movie is that he has a, he has intensely thick pubic hair, and that's a plot point. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, how how can you even compare that movie to something like Big Daddy or Billy Madison or Happy Gilmore? Really, any of those? Sure, oh, there you sure. go. Happy Gilmore is uh, like a golf parody movie.
1: Oh, that's a that's a good one. And what was that? Ninety. 90- 95? I might be confusing it with Billy Madison. I never remember the order of those things. But sure,
0: that's... Madison might also kind of be a parody. But I'm not
2: sure of what.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Happy Gilmore is definitely a parody of, you know, that, that kind of sports movie type of thing. Just in right. the world of golf and... And kind of hockey, you know, with his slap shot type of thing. But, yeah, you're right. Okay, so that that was around the same time as, you know, the Austin Powers. I think the first Austin Powers was, what, 97 or 98, I think? Yeah. Um, and then it's kind of like after that, you know, what I, I can't think of any 2000s examples, but it seemed like it fell off. Um, I mean, Zohan, you could say, I think Zohan came out in, like, 04, 05, but that's only because it was written – in like 2000 and they were going to release it. And then nine 11 happened and everybody was like movie about a guy and terrorism is not going to fly. <laughs> right.
0: Much like those planes. Hey, yo, <laughs> is, it, is it too soon? It feels too soon.
1: Oh no. We uh, uh, we talk about nine 11 a lot on cinema. <laughs> have
0: you seen not another team movie? It's another one of those. That's just like,
1: I think, yeah, that's another good parody. That's it. That's probably what early two thousands, where I think that that's another good example. I'm glad you bring that up because that could fit with the, um, you know, the parody of that style of movie and inherently being a comedy as well. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, then I feel like it, it just got, like, scary movie was, a, like, a watershed moment for what studios thought we wanted for comedy. Like, the, mm-hmm. I remember, like, the first scary movie was so popular and still kind of rightfully so. That's a very funny, you know, the Wayans people – brothers all of them they're very funny people and that's a a great spoof of like those slasher films yes i
0: think scream specifically
1: yeah yeah and and scream in and of itself was also like a parody of slasher movies and movies in general and i think that you know when scary movie did so well and then scary movie 2 did very well as i if i remember correctly that i think people in studios and the comedies they were just like this is what they want you know and it's right. like, I don't think we knew what we wanted as a culture when Scary Movie came out. <laughs> well, I
0: think, I think maybe they generalized what was good about that movie incorrectly.
1: Yes, absolutely. Because then we get to the evolution of that is, like I've been saying, the date movie, the epic movie, where it's just, you know, let's pump these out as fast as possible. And, you know, let's make fun of just everything in this genre or I think the problem with those movies is that something like a a date movie, which is the only one of them I've seen, is that it's not parodying, like, romantic comedies. It's parodying romantic comedies that came out within the last three years of it. And that's its problem, is that, like, it's not just making fun of the tropes of romantic comedies. It's like, oh, man, my big fat Greek wedding was such a popular movie. Let's make fun of that, you know? And it's it's like eh, yes you're you are parroting a very specific set of these things, but it's making that movie it's it's raining that movie in or boxing it in so it's not going to work right. for like a grand scale where you know. And then My Big Fat Greek Wedding was a comedy in and of itself. And one of the jokes of My Big Fat Greek Wedding was that, like, the Greek family, the father, was like, Windex cures everything. Yeah. And he's like, you got a cut, put Windex on it. He's like, the, the egg's not boiled all the way, put Windex on it, you know? <laughs> and then they – I forget what they do, but in Date Movie, like, they change Windex to something else. And it's like oh. – why are you parodying an already comedic thing? Like that doesn't seem like the point of parody, right?
0: Yeah, definitely not.
1: And well, I,
0: I will not say that you can't target things that are already funny. Mm, that might be tough to characterize. I, I think I think you could get away with it in certain situations. Sure, sure. I think I think if you target something that's already funny, and do it in a way that makes fun of the fact that it's funny, you. You might be able to get away with it.
1: I was thinking that same thing. Like, it has to be constructed in a clever way. Like, in in Date Movie, it's just like, do you remember that this happened in my big fat Greek wedding? It's like, we're doing that, you know? I think they also parody that um, in, you know, um, Meet the Parents, uh, that the cat is trained to use the toilet in Meet the Parents. So they just have a cat that knows how to use the toilet, and there's, like, some toilet humor with the cat in Date Um. Movie. And it's like, they're just taking jokes and, like, doing a, something a little different with them, and none of it's clever. You know, the, like you said, it needs to be clever in the way of, like, you know, we are making fun of maybe why you thought it was funny or why it worked in that movie. And that's the big failing of, once again, just to use an example, date movie. They should have been making funny fun of the fact that My Big Fat Greek Wedding was a movie made for, like, way less than a million dollars. Hey, kids. Actually, My Big Fat Greek Wedding cost five million dollars to make. The point stands. That was a totally independent film and then blew up. Like that was in the theaters for like I think like half a year or something like that. Like that movie was a hit. They should have been making fun of that fact. Like why did people love my big fat Greek wedding? Instead right. they're just like, oh it worked there, it'll work Let's for do us. it again. It's like it's like the copy and paste type of humor.
0: Like you you could actually get away with the copy and paste with the cat toilet thing if you did like an unexpected animal yes people yes. can really train their cats to use the toilet exactly. like pick an animal that that's not that, that doesn't make sense for and do something with that yeah whereas like i don't know what they subbed out for windex but like i'm, I'm thinking like even like hot sauce or something like you're not going to get very far with that kind of joke
1: exactly it's just, yeah it's
0: like windex is already unexpected
1: Yes, yes, exactly. It's like you, you need to be so clever. I think clever in a way that, you know, would take a team of people or like a, a very clever writer, you know. I don't think we're going to crack it like in the next two minutes or anything yeah. because that joke is already a joke. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if instead of putting Windex on stuff, he drank Windex, like you might be able to get away with that. That would be like you were saying, pushing it to its extreme type of yeah. thing. Like do something in the movie that they didn't do in the original source material.
0: Right, but don't in that situation like don't swap it out with something else. Like it's still Windex, but like show him taking a swig of it before he goes to bed or something. Like yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that that could be funny. Uh but but don't bring a lot of attention to it. Like that needs to be some shit that just happens in the background.
1: Like mm-hmm. you just
0: mm-hmm. see him like gargling with Windex or
1: something. Like that <laughs> yeah, would yeah, be Yeah, <laughs> that would be fine. I would have no problem with that. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, so uh, I mean but but yeah, like you were saying that's that's pushing the same joke further not Repeating the same joke, yes, with a different, like it's like when we give math homework, it's it's just the same problem with different numbers. Like it's, it's the same fucking problem.
1: Exactly, and I think you know that I think that that's also another problem with those movies is that they were able to doing that type of humor, the copy and paste, and just changing small aspects, not changing the joke. That lets them make them faster.
2: Yeah. And Polish. I
1: think that's also a problem with comedy is that so many people look down on comedies these days because they seem to be like cash grabs type of thing because comedies are wholly inexpensive. You know, you don't need a lot of effects for a, a comedy and studios can make them cheap and and hopefully make some money back for, you know, the theatrical run or from selling it or so just selling it to Netflix. You know that uh, speaking of Adam Sandler, that's what he did, you know. His, his movies that went to theaters were bombing so he just signed like a massive deal with Netflix and it's like give me you know like a hundred million dollars and I'll just pump out like three films and it's like okay you know you can make money from comedies just by making those contracts
0: hmm. I didn't know that about Adam Sandler
1: yeah he's a he's like a fully I think I think he's still on a contract with Netflix at the time of this recording um, yeah. you know, that's where you get like what like the ridiculous six was one of those movies any movie that goes straight to Netflix that has him Kevin James, uh, David Spade, or Rob Schneider in it is an, one of Adam Sandler's Contracts movies. Okay. I think what was the most, the most recent one was The Wrong Missy with Lauren Lupkis. I don't know if you heard about that one. No. That is an example of a movie, uh, everybody listen to our Chasing Amy bonus episode to understand this reference, where a character is incredibly terrible and then they tell a sob story and somebody falls in love with them. That is that movie. <laughs> that's, that's not good. That was a great response, Ben. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, I just expect more from Adam Sandler. You yeah. Did, like, yeah. Like,
0: Eight Crazy Nights is some of the best shit I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great one, yep.
0: Uh, and then for him to, you know, I guess if you fly too close to the sun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you, you die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become a villain, yep. <laughs>
2: no,
0: I thought it was... You die a hero. Or you live long enough to see your, your wings smell.
1: <laughs> sure, we'll go with that.
0: <laughs> gotcha.
1: Yeah. So so yeah. I think I think that's you know I, important to talk about the the current state of comedy when we're doing all these these earlier ones. But you know, like I said, we need. I hope we get someone that's coming down the tubes. That's like more Mel Brooks inspired. You know, more of this this classic comedy. I I would die for a well crafted joke that takes time in this day and age rather than that instant gratification, you know, toilet humor, anything like that. Like, I'm dying for that.
0: Toilet humor, I think, is the least funny thing.
1: I am totally with you there.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, so I wanted to say this uh, earlier, and so before I forget, we'll get back to toilet humor, but um, do you ever feel that your studies of mathematics make it difficult for you to continue to enjoy certain things? And what I mean by that is, do you ever feel that getting good at recognizing patterns made it difficult to continue to enjoy when patterns were used
1: yes i am glad you rephrased it because definitely you know that's that's what for anybody uh, anybody in the audience who when you he hears the study of mathematics it's it's not just adding numbers and and taking derivatives you know i i definitely agree with your assessment of it like the recognition of patterns like and i and i think the way that i was going to say before you said that is the um I definitely have issues sometimes with my inability to turn off critical thinking. Yes. Like, I, I I, sometimes take issue with, I'll watch a movie, and it's like, you know, the, the formulaic thing of all movies, or, you know, many movies, is like that first ten pages of the screenplay, the first ten minutes of the movie, they need to do certain things to set up the movie. And you see it so often, and you see that pattern, where if they do that, it's kind of like, okay, they're just doing this again, it's run-of-the-mill – that's one of the reasons Justin and I argue all the time where he loves the bad boys movies. And I'm like, they are hot garbage because there is nothing new about them. They are complete formulaic color by numbers movies. And he's Mm -hmm. like, no, but Will Smith is so funny. And I'm like, yes, he is. But even like having a lead actor who is a funny person is formulaic like that. That is, there is nothing new about that. And yes. I definitely feel that way. It bothers me where it's like you know, I, I say it a lot on Cinemonides. There, there is a there is a beauty to turning your brain off sometimes.
0: <laughs> yes, and I I typically try to do that when I watch movies, but every once in a while, man, it's just something strikes. Is like oh, I've seen this so many
1: times. Yes, oh, it's just
0: yeah. another object from the same class.
1: Yep, people people also in conversation they hate when. It seems like they had it. No one's ever explicitly said it to me. But, like, people will, like, see something, and they'll be describing it to me. And I'll be like, oh, it's just like, you know, X, Y, or Z. And they're like, what? I've never seen that. And I'm like, I'm like... I, you don't have to see it. I'm saying that it's the exact same thing as what you're describing. And they're like, they always seem baffled by that, you know? Like, the most recent example, I think, is when people, like, were explaining Game of Thrones to me, and they would talk about, like, the first season, because I, you know, Ben knows, I don't, I don't watch shows until they're over, and I have a very long list of shows I want to watch. Game of Thrones is nowhere near the top. But it's like, people were like, you gotta watch it! It's so good! And they explain, like, the first season, and they were like, oh, man, you follow these characters, and you, like, get attached to them, and then they just die, like, characters just die and you don't expect it and i'm like i'm like that's oz like oz did that the hbo show from the 90s like the whole first episode follows one character and he gets shanked in the end and he never comes back and i'm and they're like and they're like no game of thrones does it so well and i'm like but i loved oz like (laughs)
2: like like
1: like, what like you've never seen oz like like, like, what's the difference did it well (laughs) yeah and and it seems like people are always baffled by that and and I think that it's it's some thing where it's like you know the repetition or seeing those patterns is the better way to say it is where it's like once you once you notice that it's like well why do I need to sit through it again?
0: Well, and it's it's a thing that like in my life I've just noticed where like once I do something I'm resistant to doing it again. Sure, sure. It's like once once I've drawn a certain type of thing or I've painted a certain type of thing or like it's like I'm I'm the next thing I do is going to be very different than that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, like, I've seen some artists who, like, their entire art collection is, they found one style of thing to do, and they (laughs) just did it with different colors. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay, I mean, yeah, cool, like, it looks neat once.
1: Exactly, exactly. Push
0: the fucking limit. Like, do... Do something different. Like, if you're using a swing to paint, next time fucking drag a ball behind it or something. Like, do something <laughs> different.
1: Yeah, no, it's, you're exactly right. Yeah, like,
0: it doesn't take a lot of effort to to add a component. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, whereas subbing out components is, like, unless it's a really unexpected substitution, like, that's not very good. Definitely,
1: definitely. So,
0: so anyway, you know, fucking try harder is what I'm trying to say. <laughs>
1: We start. We started with some meme talk. <laughs> we got angry about people with that. We started talking about random or the state of comedy. We got angry about people with that. It's great. So, so before we do go back to high anxiety, uh, you did say which. Um, I think I stifled my laughter so it won't appear in the recording, but I was laughing hysterically when you said this, Ben. We'll get back to toilet humor. <laughs> <laughs> so just because you said that, we now have to get back to toilet humor. I agree. I think I said it or you said it, but I think we're in agreement that it's low and undeserving of attention. I also can't stand it. And it's... it bothers me also, which I want your thoughts on, toilet humor and this, it bothers me when people fucking like love it. Like, like it. I'm, I'm not saying that's like exactly I
0: have some. What I was <laughs> okay,
1: I have some good friends that I really respect, like smart people. But they just like toilet humor, and I'm just like, I'm gonna make fun of you for this. Like, you deserve to be made fun of for this. So,
0: this is something I, I've, I've tried to, to come to terms with in my life. I, I, I do think that not liking things does not make you cool. Like, I don't think it's the case that like that's. so... So I try to not judge people too hard for what they like. Sure. But god damn it, toilet humor is just so fucking low bar. <laughs> it's like yeah, somebody farted, that's not fucking funny. Everybody farts. You're wasting my goddamn time. Yep. Like yep. move the fuck on to the to whatever's actually fun. Like, I think you can only find toilet fun humor funny if you were raised in a home where toilet functions were like not ever talked about and they're like mm. It's like it, it makes me feel as if the person laughing about it is like naive, like sheltered.
1: Oh, that's an interesting point. Yeah, that would be interesting to, to study or like read about like how how were people who like toilet humor raised? Because my my thought was, as you were describing that, it's like I found toilet humor funny when I was young because I think it's because it's so prevalent in kids media because it's it's easy and it's it's I think it's like not offensive, you know? And so I think like cartoons and stuff do it a lot. But then I feel like I grew out of it. You know, I was I was ready for more expansive and and I'm I'm not I'm going to say it unabashedly, more intellectual humor. <laughs> like it is inherently more any humor I think is more intellectual than toilet humor. Sure. But the people who still love it, I would definitely love to know what causes that. And I think you're absolutely right. If it was like totally like, you know, not a, like a taboo or something, then people would find it more uh, risque and raunchy, or think exactly. of it that way. Yeah,
0: the the, the risque nature. Like I think
1: uh, maybe not all comedy, but I think
0: most comedy, like it's funny because it's a little bit risky.
1: Sure, it's sure. a little
0: bit out there. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure there's a lot of a lot of comedy that doesn't fit that, but I think some of the best comedy, it's like you're saying stuff that is pushing the the limit, like Louis C.K. You know he's a good he's a good. uh, That's how he got famous,
1: yeah. Yeah. Ricky Gervais as well, definitely.
0: Just saying saying the stuff that you maybe you've thought of before, maybe you haven't, but when you hear it, you're just like, "Fuck!" Somebody said that to me. Also, that's really funny. Yeah. Like speaking of which, I maintain Louis C.K. did nothing wrong. He has a fetish. (laughs) He asked somebody if he could jerk off in front of him. (laughs) They said yes. He did not deserve what
1: he got. I, uh, I I don't know the whole story, but I have heard that part that he asked permission if he could masturbate over the phone. I definitely heard that.
0: Well, he it was once was over the phone, once was in a hotel room. He whipped out his dick in front of some some like fans because
1: okay. he was like, "Can I jerk
0: off in front of you?" And they were like, apparently starstruck. So they were like, "Yeah, even though I don't want that." And he was supposed to know that somehow. And uh, and bam, he uh, he got basically canceled for a while. He's coming back. He's doing small, small venues and shit. I saw okay. him live. It was pretty great. But we don't fucking kink shame. Like, the only reason he got in trouble is because we happened to learn what he was into sexually. Mm-hmm. If, if you guys learned what I was into sexually, well, you have a hard time embarrassing me because I'm not a fucking ashamed of it. But it's not normal. So I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> we, don't, we don't fucking kink shame. That's what I'm trying to say. Definitely, and, definitely. And Louis C.K. was
1: kink-shamed, and I don't care what anybody says. That's what happened to him. Right on, right on. Okay. Uh, where do we get – Oh, how do we get it? Oh, yeah, the risque, pushing the boundaries in your humor. Yes. yes. I, 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 there was a moment where I was like, how did we get to Louis C.K.? <laughs> well, I,
0: honestly, because asking people if I can jerk off in front of them is always on my mind. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah it is the asking permission is better than just a warning you know like if you're yeah, in front of a, a group of people like let's say you know you're going to speak at a conference and the first thing you say when you get to the podium is if you don't want to see full frontal nudity you better leave right now and you rip off your clothes like that's that's the one step below asking permission <laughs> yeah,
0: definitely so like that's what i'm saying there, there was this whole like me too movement like you can't rate people he fucking asked and they said yes what like, in his bit, he says, if you ask somebody if you can jerk off in front of them, and they say yes, you should ask, are you sure? And if they say yes again, you should
1: still probably not do it. <laughs> he even has, I think before he was canceled, he has, like, a bit in his stand-up, and I think he even ported it over to his his show, Louie, on FX, where it's like he's making out with, like, a girl in a hotel room or something after his show or whatever, whenever, and he, like, keeps trying to make the moves to go further, and she keeps pushing him away. And then he talks to her, like, at a later date, and she goes, like, why didn't you have, like, why didn't you do anything? Why didn't you have sex with me? And he was like, well, you kept telling me no, so I didn't. And the jo- his, his bit, his joke is where he's like, so what was I supposed to do? I was supposed to rape you? Like, I was supposed to go for it and know that you were into it? Like, his material was about that before he got canceled, and that yeah. whole permission and, like, feeling or, like, social cues or or human interactions.
0: Well, and it's, uh, not to get off too far into the weeds about this, but that's, like, that's a normal thing, you know? Part of the interesting part about that type of engagement is that there is some uncertainty. Yep. And you're making a move, and you're seeing how she's responding to it, and it's, like, I mean, only a dumbass is going to take somebody who's completely frozen as like, yeah, she's into this. It's like if you're if you think that means she's into it, you're retarded. Because if she's into it, she's grabbing at you too, you know. And, and you're and you're
1: a villain on an episode of SVU.
0: <laughs> that's that's true. Yes, yep. uh, but I mean, let's just just for those of you who don't know, because apparently some of you watch the show. I assume if there, if she's into you, she's making moves too.
1: Exactly. Like, like exactly. That's,
0: if if there was any concern in your mind, that's that's the fucking sign. If she's not making
1: moves too. <laughs> stop oh yeah oh yeah yep but this is, uh, this is what? why we have the power of editing
0: <laughs> but you don't necessarily have to add no i'm just
1: kidding we're gonna we're gonna put this all at the start this is gonna all gonna go before the intro song for cinema
0: <laughs> the cold open
1: yes <laughs> oh, oh no No, i feel you i i hear you ben so
0: uh, cold open this is getting back more into comedy cold open i think is a great name for uh, necrophilia.
1: Okay. <laughs> I didn't expect that's where you were going, but okay.
0: <laughs> that's a cold open, Rob.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, we, we can get back on topic, I guess. This is why we, we like
1: having Ben here. We go we go off some great tangents that dive into some uh, okay tangents. <laughs> <laughs> I went for risque, and it, it turned out, you know, it, just
0: because it's risque doesn't mean it's funny. Yes. <laughs> it yes. has to be funny and risque.
1: Yeah, we'll see, we'll see where the rest of it leads us, but uh, back to high anxiety, of course, that big tangent. It all started with high anxiety. Um, so, so on that parody and, and spoof thing, I know I wanted to mention it, and uh, I guess this is now a better time than any. Um, the, the parody of the shower scene from Psycho. So, I would say arguably the the most well-known scene in movie history is the shower scene from Psycho. It's if not the most well-known, it's definitely up there, of course. And I think this is an example of a fantastic parody because if anybody knows the scene from Psycho, we know that, you know, you don't actually see the stabbing. You see just the motions of it, you know, you see the blood go down the drain. There's actually no gore in that scene, and that was because, you know, they couldn't get away with that stuff back in the day. And in this uh, and also the music that accompanies it is important for this discussion it's that very you know with every nice stab it's that, that shrill uh, violin screeching that like <whistles> This parody in High Anxiety, it not only recreates the shots perfectly, so getting to that homage idea of uh, Hitchcock in this film, but the setup is that Dr. Thorndyke wants his newspaper. He said to Dennis the Bellhop, I think like two or three times now, he needs his newspaper, and it's getting to the point where Dennis is like freaking out. Like what he's like, What's so important about a crown crummy, lousy newspaper? Don't forget. All right, all right, what's so important about a lousy, crummy newspaper? And he finally gets the newspaper. He goes into Dr. Thorndyke's room while he's showering, of course. He rips open the curtains, and he goes, Here's your newspaper, in his high-pitched voice. And with every stab to, like, or stab in air quotes, where he's just hitting, he's holding the newspaper rolled up like a knife and hitting Mel Brooks with it. With every stab... Dennis the bellhop is going, here, here, here. And so the the vocal performance is mimicking the music of the original scene. And then even better, when we get the shot of the newspaper in the, in the bathtub, the ink is bleeding off the paper and running down into the bathtub drain, the same exact way it does in Psycho. But I think this is also genius, because the original Psycho was in black and white, and so we have this The shot zooms in so that it's black ink on the white tile of the sink, of the bathtub, making a black and white scene in a color movie. Damn. It's fantastic. And, of course, I think everybody knows the original blood in Psycho was not ink. It was chocolate syrup, and it looked like blood in black and white. (laughs) But this, this, this spoof of this scene works on so many levels that it's just, it's, I'm in awe of it once again.
0: Uh, I definitely, I really enjoyed this scene. I was just thinking as you were describing it, like, so, you know, we're seeing Mel Brooks in the shower, I guess in Psycho, we're seeing some lady in a shower. Yeah, 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 there's uh, the woman in the shower, yep. And uh, and then she gets stabbed. I think it would be really funny to, to shoot that scene from from the murderer's perspective. It's like they're going to stab oh. somebody in the shower. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think if you were if you're going to do a parody movie, that was actually going to be a little bit gory. You could go that route. But then uh, sure. instead of instead of them killing the person in the shower, you could have the person in the shower kill them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, okay, a little, a little subversion, absolutely. Yeah, a
0: little switcheroo.
1: Right on. So, so I do have to mention Dennis the Bellhop in this movie. I, I don't think he has a recognizable face, but it is played by a guy named Barry Levinson, who is uh, a, a very uh, prolific and well-known writer and director. This is actually the guy that directed Rain Man. Oh shit! Yeah, so so Barry Levinson, <laughs> Dennis the Bellhop. What's so What's so important about a crummy, lousy newspaper? Is the same guy that directed Rain Man and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, I I think it wasn't on recording, but Ben, do you remember the last time we talked? I was telling you about that Robin Williams movie where he's the late night talk show host, but he runs for president and wins, and then it turns into voter fraud. Yeah. Barry Levinson also directed that Man of the Year. It's called. <laughs> OK, so, yeah. So uh, so high anxiety inspired Rain Man. That's what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess just to mention it again, uh, Ben and I love this scene, but we can agree on now uh, zero to 10. This scene in this movie is unwatchable because there's 13 shower curtain rings and not 10 <laughs> shower curtain rings like Mel Brooks. you canceled. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's great. So, so were there any? Other, I think those were the big parodies I wanted to mention. Uh, were there any other scenes or, or jokes that you wanted to talk about with this one?
0: I think we hit the ones that I cared about most. I mean, I think the table one with the tea—that was so that was the one that stuck out to me the most. At, really, out so, of all of it,
1: so fucking good. Um,
0: <laughs> oh, I I did like when the the assassin guy's on the phone. He's just like, I want to kill him. Oh, <laughs>
1: The way he's breathing and he's like, he's like, oh, he's like, he's like, I want to kill him. Uh, I I won't kill both of them, but if I can kill one of them, let me know. Just tell me which one to kill. But it would make me very happy if you let me kill him. Just tell me and I'll kill him. (laughs) What do you want me to do? Kill him? If you want me to kill him, I'll kill him.
3: I don't have to kill him, but I'd like to kill him. I kill Ashley Wentworth. Another killing or two wouldn't make any difference. It would make me happy. I'd like to kill them both. I think it'd be better if I kill them both. Well, let me kill just one then. Whichever one you want. All right, I'll wait. But the minute you say kill him, I'll kill him. I'd love to kill him. It would give me immense pleasure.
0: <laughs> so it would bring me immense joy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and then when when they say when they call him when he goes in the phone booth and he like pushes the guy against the glass. And Nurse Diesel is like, you can kill Thorndyke. He's like, oh, this makes me so happy to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely
0: like a sexual experience for him. Oh, yeah.
1: And that's great. Yeah. When he attacks
0: uh, Thorndyke in the phone booth and he's calling the, the blonde lady, the daughter. Yes.
1: She's just like, she's like on the phone. Like, I know some girls are into this. <laughs> but like, I'm not into this. And then she gets on the bed, so what are you wearing? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's a... Well, I guess we, we haven't even mentioned Victoria Brisbane is uh, played by Madeline Kahn, who I think is one of the funniest women ever, one of the funniest people ever. She's Mrs. White from the Clue movie, which is also a fantastic performance. Uh, but this scene is set up where she had to call Brophy to get the picture enlarged so they could see that it wasn't the the doc that shot the guy in the, in the lobby. And... Mel Brooks is trying to call her to get the information, but as she picks up, or right before she picks up, uh, Braces starts to choke him out, and so over the phone, all she can hear is heavy breathing and grunting from the two of them, and like you said, she's like, some girls are into this sex stuff, but not me. So what are you wearing? And, and then what she goes on, he's like, and she goes, oh, jeans. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's, she's saying st- stuff like, oh, you're an animal. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Listen, mister, I don't go for this sort of thing. <laughs> I know a lot of the other girls are turned on by these sort of kinky phone calls, but I really couldn't care less.
2: How did you,
3: um, get my room number? I am not going to listen to any more of this. I mean, I've had just about enough. What are you wearing?
2: Jeans
3: you're wearing jeans?
2: I bet they're tight oh God.
3: you you are an ass
0: you know like uh whenever the guy with the braces gets stabbed to, like with the glass he, he's like making all kinds of sounds and like she's, <laughs> yes. she's god that was some that was some shit uh, i'm glad you mentioned the photo magnifying because that was another one actually that I, like it shows brophy he's like got a magnifying glass he's looking at the photo and he goes over to another one that's like a little bigger and he goes to one that's like a whole wall yes and then, like, he goes to one that's, like, a giant fucking mural. It's just, like, he's got the
1: magnifying glass, like, holding it. A... <laughs> <laughs> it can't even reach the part of the photo that he, like, needs to see. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that that is great. And uh I think Brophy's a great little character, even though he's so minor. Oh, the the the
0: photo shooting things, like, where... Where uh, Thor, like whenever Brophy and Thorndike first meet, and he just like oh. takes a bunch of pictures of him, and it, like turns into an, like an impromptu
1: photo shoot. Yeah, he starts posing. Yeah, and we're just seeing the the images start flashing. Yep. <laughs> and then it, and then it, like that right after that, Thorndike's like, "Who are you?" It's
0: just...
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, so Brophy's a good character.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. One of the one of the jokes that it's very subtle, and uh, I picked up on it. I think I've always known about the first time it comes up, but it gets revisited in that scene with the um, the sex phone call joke. but when when Thorndyke is like on the run because they think he's a murderer, he meets uh, after, right after the bird scene, he meets Victoria at the uh, the north by northwest corner of the park. There's a Hitchcock movie called North by Northwest, So that's just a reference to North by Northwest. But Victoria shows up in a car. The car has the Louis Vuitton pattern. Like, it's not just painted a solid black or anything. It's just covered in the brown Louis Vuitton pattern. She gets out of the car, and her dress and purse are also the Louis Vuitton pattern. And she just (laughs) goes about the scene. But then later, when she is, she answers the phone, she's in the hotel room, and she answers the phone, and she starts, like, having the, uh, all the, hearing the grunting and stuff. She has a teddy bear. And the teddy bear has a shirt with the Louis Vuitton pattern on it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome.
1: So this this Louis Vuitton pattern is just she's all about it. It seems. her whole life. I did I did want to mention um, I I love the the joke, uh, maybe in that kind of stupid way again, but uh, when Doctor Thorndyke is under hypnosis from Doctor Little Old Man, and he's like, "You gotta fight the high anxiety. You gotta fight it." And Thorndike, like, starts shadow boxing. And then they start boxing each other. And then Montague comes in and rips off his suit jacket. So there's a referee shirt underneath it. And he starts refereeing. And when they, like, they like get close and they're, like, grasping each other, he says, Come on, boys. They came to see a fight, not a dance. <laughs> yeah, that was
0: definitely really good. And, like, Montague, he walks in there and he, he says something that leads you to believe he's going to, like, break up the fight. Yes. <laughs> and then he... And then at some point, like, I, I didn't quite catch that he was a referee at first. I thought he was going to join in the fight.
1: <laughs> sure, sure. And then that scene is capped by the great little bit where, um, like, Thorndyke's, like, passed out under hypnosis or something still. And Dr. Little Old Man is, like, winded because he's a little old man. He's been boxing. And Montague's like, what are you doing? Like, why is this happening? And he he tells Montague that Thorndyke has high anxiety. And so he's like, but you can't tell the rest of the staff. Like, no one should know that Thorndyke suffers from this illness. And he's like, I won't tell anybody. And as soon as he leaves the room, you get the voiceover. Hey, guys, guess who has high anxiety? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Do you mean to say that Dr. Richard
3: Thorndyke, one of the world's greatest psychiatric authorities, is suffering from high anxiety? Yeah, yeah. But you would not breathe a word of this to anyone, would you? Professor... May I remind you that I am also a professional? I am shocked that you would think I'd say a word about this. Hey, everybody. Guess who
2: has high anxiety?
0: Um, He even says something along the lines of, like, I'm offended you would even ask. I'm a professional.
2: Yes, (laughs)
1: yes. (laughs) Yeah, that the all most of the stuff with Doctor Montague I really like. They he's played by Harvey Corman, who is like a classic you know comedian and comedic performer. One of my favorite scenes in this movie, and probably in like of any movie ever, is when he is shooting paper clips and putting the fake werewolf teeth in to scare the patient, and it's just like the. Mel Brooks is talking to the patient. He's like, I, I haven't felt those pains in forever, and it's been six months since I've dreamed about a werewolf. And he's like, okay, good, good. And then Harvey Corman just has the, the rubber band and the paperclip in it, and he shoots it. And the guy's just like, oh! And he's like, oh, my God, that whole scene where, like, every time Mel Brooks' back is turned, Montague puts the fake werewolf teeth in, and he's doing, like, all the werewolf motions. Oh, it's so funny. It's one of those things where it's like, it's just set up so well, and you don't really know the, what the joke's going to be until it starts happening. And it's goofy, and it works, and I just love everything about it. <laughs>
0: uh, I definitely agree. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, it did—the amount that that guy was screaming about getting shot with a paperclip, though. Oh, oh, yeah. That scream is gnarly. <laughs> he's just like, he's freaking the fuck out. Tell me, Mr. Cartwright, frankly, if you were
3: returned to the community today, do you think you could function in a happy, healthy normal and productive manner
2: oh i think so i feel pretty good Ah!
0: what is it what's the matter what's wrong that pain just came back so either there's something actually wrong with him or he had like some kind of crazy military grade rubber band
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah absolutely (laughs) and i love that it's all being punctuated by mel brooks where he's like so you're saying, like after the first time the the paperclip happens and the werewolf's there, Mel Brooks says something to the patient, like, "So you're saying that this pain in your neck that you haven't felt in a year is just come back for no apparent reason?" And he's like,
2: "Ah,
1: <laughs> 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 yeah, oh my god, oh yeah, the, that see, like I said, I'm dying for just like well crafted jokes that take time and let breathe, you know? Like, I, I this movie has one liners." But it's not all just one-liners and quick gags. Like, there's actual right. jokes that, like, play out and, like, reach levels that, you know, they should reach or you don't expect. Like, even one I don't really care for fits this bill where they go to see Arthur Brisbane, who's who's the, the stand-in for Arthur Brisbane, and it's the guy who thinks he's a Cocker Spaniel. Right. Like, I'm not the biggest fan of that joke, but it, it's, a, it's a real joke. Like, it's set up that he thinks he's a dog. He does increasingly crazy dog things. They start talking to him like he's a dog. And it has, like, two minutes or two and a half minutes to actually breathe. That's I'm like, I'm fine with it. I don't like the joke, but I'm fine with it.
0: Uh, and they even reference that joke later. He's, like, talking to, to the daughter. And he's like, <laughs> he licked me. She, she's like,
1: he's met my father. Yeah, he licked me. <laughs> he's very well behaved. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, he yeah. believes he's a cocker spaniel
1: these days. And then, and also everybody when, they're, when they meet Victoria Brisbane, they're like, "Oh, so this is the cocker's daughter." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some of the some of the one liners in this movie, speaking of them that I really like, Cloris Leachman in her first scene where she's describing like the the routine for the institute. Those who are tardy do not get fruit cup. <laughs> like, that gets me. Just the way she delivers that line is great.
3: Doctor Thorndike, how do you do?
1: charlotte diesel
3: i have left a complete medical file of everyone in the institute here in your room i'm sure you'll want to rest a bit and freshen up before you meet the rest of the staff dinner is served promptly at eight in the private dining room those who are tardy do not get fruit cup
1: even the um the flasher at the beginning when he reveals himself to mel brooks and mel brooks like running away from him he like leaves the bathroom and he's like don't be so gauche we're all doing it wait
3: where are you going don't be so gauche we're all doing it
0: (laughs) Uh, I think something that might qualify as a real joke from Airplane. I know you guys did Airplane sure, the other day, sure. but, but the uh, I think that's the, the right movie where this lady's like freaking out and they start smacking the shit out of her.
1: Oh yeah, she like the plane, like the pilot's sick, and she's like, "We're all gonna die!" And then it's the line of people who are all trying to get her to calm down. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good. That might be the closest thing to like a full joke in that movie, or a a joke that they give time to. Because you're right, you know, they show the lady freaking out. The stewardess wants to calm her down. The stewardess slaps her, like shakes her and slaps her. And you're like, okay, you know, that's that's the unexpected. That's what makes it the joke. That's the punchline. But then Leslie Nielsen comes up and it's like. You have other care pa- you have other I almost said patients Leslie Nielsen's like, you have other passengers to worry about like let me handle this, and he shakes her and slaps her, and then the, the nun is like, doctor, no, you have to worry about these people, and the nun shakes her and slaps her and then it pans to the whole line of people just waiting to her so yes that that is an actual joke that's crafted and like shown <laughs> right um, I, I think it's that joke's pretty good oh yeah that's a that's a good a good part of that movie for sure. <laughs>
0: I, I do have to agree. I, the dog bit did not really do it.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's that's some stuff where it's like, yeah, you know, I get it. But see, that's the thing. What I love about this movie is, like, these jokes, even if they don't land, they're in service of the plot. Like, it is a yeah. major plot point that he thinks Arthur Brisbane is mentally ill and needs to be there so yes. that we get the reveal later that it's actually not him and the plot can move forward. So it's like we're airplane. If a joke doesn't land, it's like wow, that that had no impact on anything. So it's fine. It can just keep going. Yeah, definitely. And
0: um, the movie's better for it, I think.
1: Oh, oh, I totally agree. Absolutely. Yeah, like I said at the start, I want a tight plot where the jokes are in service of the movie, not the other way around.
0: Well, it's it's not like just like bad humor. It's it's humor, like you said, this like serves a point. Yeah. Um, yep. And I th- I think that's I I have very little patience for things that are that are pointless.
1: Mm -hmm. And this, I think, you know, to, to bring up another thing that we've talked about in these last two episodes with airplane and with Johnny dangerously, I definitely got, uh, what I've been calling comedy fatigue where it's like, like 50, like airplane and Johnny dangerously are both an hour and a half. And in both movies, like around the 45 to an hour mark, I'm just like, Oh my God. I want something to happen. I don't just want to wait for another joke. Like, I want something more. And this, I do not get comedy fatigue in this movie because there's an actual story. Like, there's actual things that happen.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely never felt any comedy fatigue during this movie. And that's probably why I didn't finish uh, Naked Gun or, or Airplane back in the sure. day. Sure,
1: yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Airplane, I hadn't rewatched Airplane in a while, but it was like Johnny dangerously I, I've seen a lot and that movie I have, I have like a special place in my heart for nostalgia wise but airplane I was like wow like is this movie really this not funny at parts and I kind of had to come to realization it's like yes like everybody just talked it up for so long. And even though I thought it was funny, it was like, wow, I forgot about so much. It was like I only remembered the good jokes that everybody remembers.
0: Yeah, so I was going to say there's like four jokes that people remember from Airplane.
1: Exactly, exactly. And there are
0: a lot more jokes in Airplane than that.
1: Yep. And with this movie, in comparison, you know, I'm sure even if it might not be, like, wildly memorable, you know, like, I feel like every time, like I was saying earlier, now, Ben, when you see a camera in any movie go through a window and into a room, you're going to be like, they just broke that fucking window pane.
0: <laughs> and and like, that's a really good fucking joke. Like That's, yes. that's uh, looking at something that people see all the time and uh, experiencing it or imagining it in a different way and then shocking you a little bit.
1: Yep, with exactly. the unexpectedly
0: like that's that's some damn good humor.
1: Oh yeah, that's what we need more of. <laughs> yes,
0: this is going directly to Hollywood, right? This episode. So oh, can...
1: 100 percent, hundred percent. Hollywood's going to listen to this. It's going right to Weinstein in jail. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a there's a line in that in that uh, it's at the start before the um, the cocky doo doo stuff in the psychiatry conference where. Uh, the guy who introduces Dr. Thorndike, he says something like, when he's introducing him, he's like he, he, like, he won a Nobel Prize for using chemotherapy to treat severe psychosis. And I don't know if I had ever picked up on that line before, but this time I was like, oh, okay, okay.
3: <laughs> it is a pleasure and an honor to present the new head of the Psychoneurotic Institute for the Very, Very Nervous. Winner of the Nobel Prize for his works in the use of chemotherapy on severe psychosis. The Distinguished
0: Dr. Richard H. Thorndyke. That one definitely uh, caught me. So then, like, at the end of his speech, he says something, like, he's describing the woo-woo as, oh. as like, this... He says something dumb, like, it's, like, the most fundamental psychological
1: something or other. everybody yeah, like, like the, stands peak, up class. the peak of psychosexuality or something like that, and then everybody just has gives him, like, thunderous applause.
0: <laughs> I was definitely just like, he just said a whole bunch of nothing. <laughs> yeah, yep. Oh, uh, which, I mean, I, that... In a movie like this, you could take that as making fun of those types of conferences. Exactly.
1: That's that's kind of now with the experience I think for you know both of us have with conferences and that whole you know academic lifestyle and knowing what goes on. That joke takes on new meaning to us, you know. Where yep. somebody who might not be versed in that is just like, oh yeah, you know, cocky doo-doo, woo woo, that type of thing. Right. <laughs>
0: Definitely. I mean, I I definitely got the vibe of being at those conferences and not having any fucking clue what what's going on.
1: Yes. It's so, oh, like yeah. this
0: guy's just saying, and sometimes it's like he's just saying like simple shit that doesn't mean anything, and like these people are acting like it's a big deal. And <laughs> yeah, other times it's yeah. like I have nobody in this audience can have any idea what you're talking about unless they're like in your field.
1: Yep. Yep. So I did I did want to talk about another one of those scenes that I I do find funny, and it's definitely like. I don't know about dumb humor, but it's definitely a, the most obnoxious scene. Probably the only obnoxious scene. The one I referenced in my uh, my intro. If you're loud and annoying psychologically, people don't notice you. Yeah. When they dress up as like the elderly couple and just complain and, and argue about everything, like that's one of those things where I'm like, this this is. I find it very funny, and it.
0: I agree. That was very. It, funny. It'll
1: come up in my snacks, but the whole beginning. Where, like, just from the start, it gets me. Where they're like, okay, we gotta, you know, just be loud now, just like we rehearsed. And then Mel Brooks is like, celery, why'd you buy celery from San Francisco to bring on the plane? You can get celery from the market by our house. And he's and she goes, I bought the celery and just in case they serve Bloody Marys on the plane. And then they start talking about, like, Bloody Mary. It's like, I can't have Bloody Mary from him. He doesn't make it with tomato juice. He makes it with the Snappy Peppy, all the Snappy Peppy. And I'm just like, I don't know what the fuck Snappy Peppy is, but I'm dying at this scene right now.
3: <laughs> Come on, you take this. I can't tolerate this no more. Celery? Celery you had to buy in San Francisco? You couldn't get it by the market near our house where we live? Excuse me? I bought a celery in case on the plane they wanted to serve you a Bloody Mary. A Bloody Mary? Well, Mrs., I don't like the Bloody Mary they serve on the plane. No, sir. It's too burning. They don't even put tomato juice, they put in snappy peppy. Murray Weintraub, remember Murray Weintraub? Morning, noon, and night. Murray Weintraub drank the bloody marriage with the peppy, with the snappy. You know where he is now? Mouth-heap and dead from that. Murray Weintraub is not dead. Murray Weintraub is alive. No, 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 no. Morris, Morris, Turtletop, Morris Turtle You're talking about the one from Great Neck that walks uh, sideways like this. Oh no, sir, no sir. Morris Turtletop Top didn't walk like that. Morris Turtletop, to my memory, walked just like this. way, a little irregular. Way, 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 couldn't help himself. <laughs>
0: That was really well done, uh, especially. I, I think I especially liked it. Uh, I, I thought there was a juxt, juxtaposition between what he described that they were going to do and what they did.
1: Yes, uh, yes.
0: Because he's like, you know, he says, you know, we're going to be loud and annoying. I didn't expect them to also be dressed up as characters.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they have all these personas because there's even that bit where he's like no, that dude is dead. And she's like, hey, he's not dead. You're thinking Omori Turtle Tov. He's dead. And he's like, no, 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 no. And it's just like, they have this whole backstory that they planned.
0: <laughs> I definitely, like, listening to it, date could have been complete nonsense and not planned at all and they were just each talking. <laughs> uh, but it s- sounded coherent enough that, like, it could have been a-, a real thing.
1: Yep, yep. Oh, yeah. And and I my, my only problem with that scene is that they mention this is a very this is like a this is like one of Alfred Hitchcock's minor nitpicks with this movie. This is like curtain ring level, uh, but they say that they rehearsed. They say that this is planned, and he forgets that the gun yeah. is in his yeah. waistband. And yeah. I get that they they wanted to have like just some some more in that scene. It definitely seems like a note to like make that scene longer. Right, because the whole premise is that they just don't need to be recognized, you know? To generate
0: a little bit of suspense also.
1: Sure. Oh, that that's a good point. You know, suspense parody, so we have yeah. some extra suspense. But it's just like, I see, every time I see that, I'm just like, there is no way he would have forgotten that he had a gun, you know? Right. But if that didn't happen, we wouldn't have had that line where he goes to the metal detector, and he's like, oh, is this a game show? What did I win? You beeped, sir. I beeped! I beeped! The mad beeper is on the loose! <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, here I go. What is this a game show? What did I win mean, a pinto? I'm sorry, sir, we're going to have to search you. Uh, please, sir. Uh, what did I do? What did I do? What's the my you, crime? You beep. I beep. I beep. Take me away. Take me back to Russia. Put me in iron. I beep. The mad beeper is loose. Take you away the right, beeper. You the man takes me away. Know, <laughs>
0: That would never fly today. Yes, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And oh, that's yeah. the, the murderer's gun, right? Oh. Like, that's the gun he's been carrying around, because...
1: He's just carrying that gun on him? Yeah, Braces gives him the gun so his fingerprints are on it. And then yeah, and that, that whole scene when he, like, doesn't know what's going on and the cops or the security guards or whatever are trying to get him and he's, like, holding the gun and he's like, what's going on? Like, I didn't murder anybody. There's one point where, like, the cops are about to draw their guns and Mel Brooks says, don't take out your guns. I'm a psychologist. We can work this out. And, it's, <laughs> uh, and I'm like, no, that's not the card to play <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that was everything I had. Um, you know I think that with comedies, you know, we can go on forever, which is why I'm glad we have that combination of philo- philosophical discussion about comedy and the actual movie. But any any final scenes or any final thoughts on high anxiety, Ben?
0: Uh, I think that's I think that really covers it for me too.
1: Are you gonna go and watch a bunch of Hitchcock movies now?
0: I'm actually I'm considering it. I'm curious.
1: Okay. okay. Uh, North by Northwest is probably my favorite. Uh, Psycho is excellent, Vertigo is really good, um, some of the older ones are good, like the 39 Steps I mentioned, The Wrong Man, uh, but yeah, check them out, I don't know if they're, they gotta be streaming somewhere, they're so famous, you know? I would hope so. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Once again, I will remind everybody, if you want some more Mel Brooks talk, uh, specifically about Star Wars, check out Knights of Vader, we're gonna do Spaceballs, but okay, so, so with that being said, Ben, are you ready for our questions? I'm ready. Okay, so... Uh, I think I'm going to start with Cinemodities, and I'm going to go no. Even though it is a fantastic parody, I think my favorite parody, I would also probably say the most well-crafted parody with all the filmmaking aspects we talked about as well. I don't think that that makes it enough to fit the bill for a Cinemodity, so I'm going to go no. Late Night Movie, I'm also leaning towards no, but I think this is a very specific case of know your audience. Because I think you'll agree with me here, Ben. Any spoof movie, any comedy, like really, you know, entrenched comedy, it runs the risk of people just detaching from it right away. Like, you know, if if you're sitting down to watch a movie and like the first 10 minutes the jokes you think are stupid or they don't they don't click with you, you might just be done. Like that phone, they might take their phone out and do anything else for the rest of that 90 minutes. And that's like the bane of a late night movie. But I do think... If someone's familiar with Hitchcock movies and they don't really know about this or have never seen it, then it's a perfect candidate for a late night movie. So I'm going to go with a know your audience on late night and a no to cinemodities. What do you think?
0: When this movie came out, I'm sure it was a cinemodity.
1: 1977, the same year as Star Wars. Look at that.
0: (laughs) So this type of thing, I mean, we've we've talked about it. It's, it's been done. It's been taken to a different place and it's Mm -hmm. been done and it's, so I mean, at this point, like, no, it's it's not, it's not odd anymore. I I, I didn't watch it, and like, I, I wasn't just like, you know, really distracted from the movie or anything by how strange I thought it was. Sure. I definitely didn't think it was strange. As far as uh, late night, I have I do agree that the comedy thing, you know, if, if the jokes don't click with you in the first couple minutes, you might tune out. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree with that. But I think that this movie is is pretty accessible. okay. Uh, and if I if I were gonna you know hang out with with a group of friends or something and we did just needed a movie to watch, I might do it this one.
2: Okay. Uh, right so on,
0: right so on. I'll give it a I'll give it a maybe leaning towards a yes on the late night and probably a no on the cinemadies.
1: Okay, okay, I dig it. I dig it. Then that brings us to snacks. Uh, since I already mentioned it that it would come up again. Um, I would love to have a Bloody Mary on here. But it is a Bloody Mary made with Snappy Peppy, and the celery in it is from San Francisco. So I did do some research into what the hell Snappy Peppy is okay. we, because I was just like, what the fuck is Snappy Peppy? And apparently Snappy Peppy is not an actual thing. From what I've found, some people think that this is a reference to a, a tomato juice called Snappy Tom. So like Snap and then the letter E, and then Tom. And it was like right. a canned tomato juice. And from what I read, people seem to think that in the movie, um, so in in the late 70s, early 80s, you know, when this movie was really around, 77 when it came out, of course, Snappy Tom was like a big drink. Like, it was like, um, what do we have? We have Clamato today as like the, uh, the tomato juice knockoff type of thing. Or V8. V8's probably a closer thing to today. And it was big, so people would know what Snappy Tom was, but the argument that these people were making was that Mel Brooks did not want to have to get permission to use snappy Tom, the name or did not want to have to pay them anything to use snappy Tom. So he called it snappy peppy instead. And apparently in the seventies, people would know that that's what it was. Like if you made a, a bloody Mary with snappy peppy, people would be like, Oh, it's like snappy Tom. So the joke like landed in that day and age today, like like I said, I had no fucking clue what Snappy Peppy was, but he said it three times, and I was just laughing.
0: <laughs> it sounds pretty funny, Snappy Peppy. Yes,
1: Snappy Peppy, Snappy Peppy. <laughs> so, so Bloody Mary made with Snappy Peppy with celery from San Francisco. That's my first pitch. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, I think
0: my first pitch is going to take us back to that table scene. Okay. Uh, frantic, frantically sugared tea. Um, what
1: so where's the what aspect is frantic
0: the person who's sugaring the tea the person who is doing the sugaring is shaking and freaking out
1: okay and, okay so it's it's like they're going through like sugar withdrawal and they're trying to get it into their system as fast as possible and, and people are talking to them and asking them for stuff the, Ooh, the whole time see that yeah. i like that like the the waiter the wait the wait staff delivers the uh, the tea and the uh, and the sugar and then is just badgering the customer with questions and stuff while they're trying <laughs> to put the sugar in their tea. Okay, perfect. Yep. <laughs> the, uh, the one, the thing that uh, we talked a little bit about here and there, but I mentioned the line you know, those who are tardy will do not get fruit cup. I, I would love to take that idea, but he, okay, here's my pitch we have fruit cups on all the tables. That don't have people on them. So, like, if if, a, if like a group of people or like a table becomes empty and we're like waiting to turn it over, we put a fruit cup at the table. And then when the when the the hostess or the host or whoever is taking the people from the front of the restaurant to a table, we have wait staff remove the fruit cup before they get to the table. So, in essence, every single customer sees that there's a fruit cup at their table and never gets it. So we make them tardy intrinsically to the restaurant. Okay. (laughs) I don't know what we're going to do with the fruit afterwards because we usually like to do some level of recycling, but those customers never get the fruit cup. Never. I mean,
0: it'll go bad eventually, but it might look the same for a lot longer than it's
1: good. Oh, that's a good point. And the other thing that um, I just thought of, because you're here now, Ben. We do have a fruit cup pitched in our Neon Demon episode. Remember the girl orders at the restaurant? Can I hear the specials? You're not going to order any. But they work so hard to memorize them. And then, <laughs> and then she says something like, uh, we'll take three coffees and a fruit cup. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we can use that fruit. So the people who order the Neon Demon three coffees and a fruit cup get the old fruit that other people have not gotten because we've removed them from their table perfect (laughs) done
0: all right see what what else do we need for snacks um you know i this is just because that's what i was eating when i watched i had some chinese food
1: oh okay that's good Uh, that's good so
0: like prepared on an airplane chinese food
1: Ooh, interesting
0: (laughs) yeah yeah this is the in-flight meal is what we're serving these people (laughs)
1: okay okay i like that Uh, i've never had a good experience with airplane food so that fits well with the restaurant that's gonna be (laughs) subpar subpar uh nutrition (laughs) i it's not a snack but the, the last one that i had was um it's more a piece of memorabilia we we don't do this often but there's a few things that we have um like actual like uh like things from movies or or things that aren't in the movie, but we can make a joke about it. So it, this is all started with the Simpsons joke. They go to like a Planet Hollywood, which the actual Planet Hollywood restaurants like have movie memorabilia in them. Like that's their shtick. And there's a Simpsons joke where they're at one and Lisa's like, look, it's the cane from Citizen Kane. And and I, as far as I know, there's no cane featured in that movie, prominently at least. But we, we started this with, we have the, we have the sand dune from the movie Dune. And so there's just a pile of sand on a podium in the restaurant. Like, and it's the, it's the dune, for, it's the sand dune from Dune. So okay. we, we have some other memorabilia from there um, f- since then, I should say. And I want somewhere in the restaurant, we we're going to hang it up, the giant mural-sized picture that Brophy creates of Mel Brooks shooting the dude with Mel Brooks in the elevator. Like, I just want that whole picture in its glory somewhere in the restaurant.
0: So... Uh, it's it's funny that you're talking about this picture because my last one is based on this picture as well. Mm-hmm. What I want it's not it's not a food item. It is a way you can order any food that's on the menu, okay. which is in four different portions of increasing size.
1: Oh, so they, they get like the the four course meal and it starts with like a, like an amuse bouche or something like a single bite, and then eventually you get to like the family platter at an Olive Garden or something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it's all the same food.
1: Now, now that I like, I like that. I, I wish people could have seen the face I just made because that you blew me away, man. That's even better. Like, let's say somebody orders like for like a like a hamburger. Like, it starts as a slider, and then you get like you know a regular sized burger, and then you get like one of those giant food eating competition burgers that they have on the Food Network, and then you just get like you had to kill a whole elephant to make this burger type of thing. Definitely. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. I, I, I just love now thinking of just take that, like you said, as the modifier to any item already on the, on the menu and just be like, you can order this or you can order it as the four-course meal of increasing size and just see what we can do to make it bigger and bigger. There's going to be some goofy stuff. I'm just thinking about when... You said cigarettes in our chasing Amy episode, and I said that already exists. Like, okay, you get a, you get a little cigarette, you get a regular sized cigarette, you get a cigar, you get a fucking this whole tobacco field rolled up in the fourth <laughs> one. <laughs> That's awesome. awesome.
0: Oh, I love it, Ben. <laughs> it uh, it probably multiplies the price. Like, it's not a plus two dollars. It's like a times two hundred or something. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yes, yes, and they're going to have to pay for each course individually, and it's going to be like a geometric sequence, you know? It's going to have some some power formula that's going to detail the price. (laughs) Because even that's good. We can give, like, a formula. Like, the price under it will be listed as a formula like with the input being like the weight of the food or something and ev- it'll confuse customers even more
0: <laughs> <laughs> the, the total price is the integral of this function from zero to the max weight of, of a food item. <laughs> yes.
1: yes that's awesome <laughs> oh right on right on was that the last snack you had because i think that was yes. all i had Yes, it is. All right. Well, the, all that being said, it comes the time of the podcast to thank Ben for being here, but not thanking him uh, for not being Ben Affleck. That's no good. Gotta, gotta, can you be Ben Affleck next time? No, we don't want Ben Affleck. We want Ben because he has these great ideas for the restaurant, which is, of course, what this podcast is all about at the end of the day. So where can people find you, Ben, and where can they share memes with you? <laughs> uh
0: nowhere to the second question.
1: <laughs> everybody go to Ben cuz I think everybody knows you're going to pitch your Instagram. Go to Ben's Instagram and send him memes. I don't yes. even know if you can do that on Instagram, but do I, it. <laughs> I don't know either cuz I
0: don't understand Instagram.
1: <laughs> so I do want to mention last week Heather was on here and she was she mentioned her Instagram and she was saying something she was like she was like, "Yeah, I'm going to post this video on Instagram." And I was like you have to be really popular on Instagram to post videos, I think. And she was like, "I, I don't know how Instagram works." And I'm like, <laughs> "You're not the first person to say that on this podcast."
0: <laughs> <laughs> right on.
1: Um, yeah, definitely.
0: I mean, you can you can find me on Instagram. I'm sure Rob has it still at Ben Q Stanley or yep, something. Yep, I'll
1: put it in the show notes for sure. Uh,
0: and then Xanderthal apps. You know, I'm I'm developing an app right now for the wedding. And uh, some of the hors d'oeuvres and stuff are going to come from your restaurant, I'm uh, having <laughs> you guys cater.
1: Oh, I'd even think about that. Good. Uh, I'll put I'll put Zach to work while I'm busy having fun at the uh, at the event.
0: <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna get some chooties or something. Chooties. Some... Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So once I get that app app done, I'm gonna add that shit to the portfolio, and you guys can find me and try to hire me to write an app for you.
1: Right on. Right. on. If
0: you want an app written for yourself for some reason, also. If you want an app for the wedding you're about to have that's not my wedding, I could probably make my app work for you. So come,
1: come at me. Ooh, that's, now that that is a good one. So you mentioned two good ones now. Um, the, uh, the Organization of Media and the Physical Media app, that one you mentioned yeah. on here before, that was great. And the Wedding one is definitely a, a localization of all your wedding needs. I'm going to give that bold of a statement to it right now, even though it doesn't exist. <laughs> uh, that's another good one. Yeah, for sure. So hit Ben up. Uh, let him know. Send him pictures of your dog. Don't send me pictures of your dog, because nobody fucking cares. Uh, but thank you, again, Thank you, again, Thank you, Ben, once again, for coming on. And uh, if uh, you hate Ben, everybody look forward to next time he's on here. He's going to be on here a lot, because I gave him some creative control.
0: <laughs> yeah, it happened. I... You know, when you did it, I was like, are you sure? (laughs) And
1: and then you came back with muscles. (laughs) (laughs) We need to look at the rock. I think he takes his shirt off. (laughs) (laughs) So at the end of every episode, we have to say, well, what are we going to play in reverse? And I think this is, of course a no-brainer as many of them have been we need to play the high anxiety song sung by mel brooks in reverse that's gonna be great that, that's pretty good uh, yeah. and ben if you have any dissenting opinion keep them to yourself how about that okay
0: can you overlay that dude's that the guy screaming here like over and <laughs> over again stabbing him with the dude? that and mixing with I, high I anxiety could,
1: i could probably swing a medley for sure That that'd be a good one yeah i think there's Yeah, there's some great screams in this movie. We could reverse and just pepper into a uh, an actually well sung song. Mel Brooks does sing that song pretty well. Like that's actually sounding good. So yeah, no, I
0: agree. It's 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 a good it's a good a good jam. That's that's the good music.
3: I'm afraid I'll get up, stay. i stay. i I'm
2: going to